Right town, smoldering the city, hacking through necks, getting good and gritty. Vigil, looking kind of shitty, doesn't seem to be a hope left in the city. All around me, people looking undead, limping up the sidewalk, scrambling to get fed. How's everybody doing? Book three, <laughs> retrospective time. All right. Is that what we're doing tonight? <laughs> yes, Joe. <laughs> Sweet. And that was one of your better song parodies, Alex. That was a good one. Yeah. Oh, that thanks. was well thought out and executed. Bravo. I, I will give uh, partial credit to Andrew, who helped me uh, put together the last line of that little parody, because I was stumped. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, book three, Behind Us. And I think I speak for everybody when I say that we are a stronger, happier group, uh, having gotten through it. What? No. Define happy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like, there wasn't much to be happy about in the first place. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure I'm <laughs> any less happy, but as Tom said, it's because you can't get any less happy. Yeah, I'm definitely not happier <laughs> than we were when we started. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was complete and utter uh, morbid sarcasm. Uh, book three was fucking horrible i mean book one was a slog uh it's just nothing but going through these way stations you guys had to fucking get your fellow townsmen to move on and rogiar's case his son uh it was a sad fucking book book two was you you, you had you spend almost the entire adventure in the the bones of your town and it was as far as combats go i i would say that book two is still the most brutal uh yeah the most just like holy shit okay one combat over time to fucking go back and rest again and then like put everything we have into heels and just hope that we can make it through another day uh, book two, I think, was definitely top tier uh, survival uh, as as far as difficulty goes. I think uh, a big part of that was the lack of any real time time crunch for that one. Like, yeah, like book one had that had more of that survival like time crunch to it with like us needing to actually forage to survive and everything. Yeah, and book three had the. You know, that compact, this whole thing takes place within one weekend. Yep, yep. Uh, that's that's definitely true, but I think time crunch or not, you, like, if there if book two was a time crunch, you would have failed, I think. Probably. Because it was, because well, it was so rough. Yeah. <laughs> and, all, and, I mean, we also didn't treat it like a time crunch. Like, if it had a time crunch, we would have treated it differently, too. Maybe pushed yeah, things a little more. party wiped. <laughs> yeah i don't know you guys were i th I think it's safe to say that you guys have been in full uh survival mode even as far back as the beginning of book two as far as being as careful as you possibly can be uh and just making sure you're making all the right decisions uh, I, some I of don't... that was exaggerated to a degree by the fact that we like walked into the second room of the big the big dungeon crawl and, and lost the got yeah, just got shredded. Like, when did the die? 
He got ripped in half by that Xenopterid spore zombie. In book okay, two, I know how he died. <laughs> when did he die? It was like we, we got through you, You're looking Vikers for like an episode number? Crew. Yeah, like what part of which book? I can't remember. It was like it was... halfway through book two, pretty much. Yeah, Maybe yeah, two thirds okay. of the way through. Yeah, about halfway. Because like we, we did everything in town, and then we were making our push into Roslar's tomb when he got ripped in half. And then we had to go all the way through Roslar's tomb and then the Bastion of Light with Randolph. It was like the yep. second combat of the tomb, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it was, I think, your third combat after leveling up. You guys were bigger and better than ever and just <laughs> almost immediate character death. All right, so let's move on. We're going to talk a little bit more about book three instead of... <laughs> Happily reminiscing about books one and two. <laughs> so for anybody who's tuned in for our retrospectives for books one and two, uh, not much has changed. Uh, these seem to be pretty, seems to be a pretty good format and we're going to, for the most part, stick with that. Um, let's start with a little roundtable discussion. I'd like to hear everybody's favorite combat from book three. <laughs> Okay, I'll go first on this one if I can. Yeah. Uh, with that, oh, I forget what it was called exactly, but um, the giant vat, the die works there. Yes. The one that killed Yendo, <laughs> that's your favorite combat? Dude, that was like, that was soul crushing. Like a memorable combat is one that like, all right, first of all, like the way that it happened, you know, it wasn't just like he got felled by a sword, right? And then he got he died by more brutally than Thalias did, and Thalias died very <laughs> brutally. Yeah, that that was ridiculous. That's somebody. That's just like that whole night. Like I went to bed, pulled my blanket up to my chin, and was just like, <laughs> "What happened to me?" <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think obviously the the most memorable part of that combat, memorable not necessarily used uh, in a, in a good way, but. Yeah, the, the most memorable part of that combat was definitely the death of Yando. Um, but the what? combat itself uh, yes. was really, yeah. uh, really cool. Um, I forget who uh, first, like, I think it might have been Joe, uh, thought, like, you know. Like, now is, is Nick, is I this, think. Can I turn the this puzzle element? I, I think it was yeah, Tom like, can, who had the idea. Oh, Tom, Tom. Yeah, okay. the, yeah, somebody was like, can I turn this vat on? Can we try to, like, like hold this thing, trip it up somehow? And... Like there was nothing like the mills work. It's not like this like run down place that you guys are, you know, like sifting through as ruins. So, but the book, you know, had no information on that. So it was kind of a, a combination of, you know, you guys having a cool idea and then acting on it, and me kind of ad hocing some uh, on the fly rules for you know how how these how this mill works. And I knew that there was a treadmill, and I knew that there was a switch that could alternate which uh, vat was being churned by the treadmill. But other than that, there was not, no information. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that was part super of it cool. wound up being a really cool combat. It was yeah. very unique yeah. in that sense. Yeah, the whole, the whole combat itself was memorable. And then, like, the impact, of, you know, to the party and the story and all that. It was, that was just, like, I don't know. That was, like, an all-timer. Hell, yeah. Who wants to go next? Uh, I will. I mean, if I'm playing off of uh, Joe's, uh, Joe's kind of like most memorable uh, is the actual Yando fight where he was, uh, where he came back as an undead. 
that oh that was that was some that was horrible fear. that I'm was sorry. we, we should have put a trigger warning before you said that for, for seriously uh yeah just the whole the whole book three what you did to my boy <laughs> my boy the villain of the the book was not anyone in the story it was alex <laughs> all right all right so on on that notion uh i i feel as if i i owe an explanation i need to explain myself for yeah what i did to yando <laughs> i think and we should I... just stone you instead <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, is also you thought acceptable. this was you thought this i don't was need an explanation i saw what you did <laughs> now i did uh I did kind of explain myself to you guys, the players, after we finished recording, but well, uh, we forced you for the yeah. You held me down, and, uh, <laughs> and you, you kept uh, yeah, doing horrible shit to me. Um, so here's the thing: um, when Yando got killed by that ooze, and for the sake of identifying it, I went back into the book. It is called a putrid ooze. Uh, CR 11, I believe you guys were level nine at the time, maybe eight. We were nine because we were nine going into the sewer. Yeah. We were 10 when we came out. You, and you, you fought it at reduced health actually. Um, so the, basically real, real quick, it's kind of a tangent. The, the story behind the putrid ooze is, uh, it was in that vat as a sort of, um, garbage disposal. It like dissolve whatever you throw in there. It was just an easy way to get rid of whatever you wanted, including uh, with uh, Killebrand erstwhile the the <laughs> the gnome who uh, who owned the dye works. And there's like a whole story behind that too. Uh, she's you know the leader of the Black Crows, this criminal uh, organization. It was a very handy uh, body disposal. Uh, any people that they needed to disappear, whether they were still alive or not. They just throw in the vat and nobody would ever see them again. The ooze was, you know, therefore very well fed and for the most part, very docile. Uh, however, uh, with the uh, the anti-paladins who came up from the sewers through there and they fought the six wise crows and then brought Dondon back into the sewers uh, between all the fighting and just like the, I guess, I think the book sits on about like the fell energies from the anti-paladins kind of got the ooze riled up and actually attacked one of the anti-paladins. And I think it killed one of them, but they like fought back a little bit before they ran away. So when you encounter the ooze, instead of being at its full 172 hit points, it only had 150 hit points only. <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway, uh, so when, when Yando uh, got killed by that ooze, uh, it was, you know, that, I knew somebody was dying when you went in there, when you went in through the north door. Like, there was really no way to, for me to warn you. And you guys know that for all the, for all the, like, the acting, like, we're, you know, a, a GM versus PC kind of table. Like, you guys know that I throw you plenty of bones and try to, like, give you ample warnings if I can when something terrible is about He's to lying. He's just trying to look good in front of you. <laughs> Um, there is really no, there's no information that I could justify giving you, uh, where opening that door meant somebody was about to die. Um, yeah, but you couldn't have just left it at the hired sword that I had so brilliantly thought to pay to bring with us. That, that's, look, he did, he because really did. of the hired sword, 
Yando was the only important character to die because the hired sword got killed in the surprise round. And then this thing, I forget where it was in initiative, but Yando went first and he had literally nothing. There's nothing he could do that wouldn't provoke. And if he didn't provoke, one of you guys was going to provoke. So Yando provoked and yeah, I mean, as I rolled the dice and that's what happened. Anyway, so Yando died. I'm, you know, the, I am the GM. I've read through this AP several times. I know what's about to happen uh, three quarters of the way through book three. Uh, and I thought to myself, man, it would really suck if Yando came back as an undead. And you guys eventually brought him back to life. Now, I won't pretend it wasn't a dick move that I still took that from you and had him come back as an undead. Here's my justification. First, a vast majority of the city just instantly died when that attack went off. Uh, So it is completely justified that I could pick any uh, NPC that wasn't pivotal to the plot and have them die. Second, the type of undead I had already selected Yando to be turned into before you, uh, he was brought back is in the back. It's in the bestiary in the back of book two, where you first meet Yando. It is a bow wielding undead that rises from uh, fallen hunters who have become obsessed with the hunt. Yando, whose favorite enemy is undead, is very much invested in this whole adventure. Uh, it just fit so well. Um, and like I said when I first started, I'm not going to pretend that that wasn't still a dick move. And I don't know if this was spoken to anyone outside the podcast already, but I did compensate you guys with additional loot exceeding the value of the resurrection that you paid for for Yando. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was nice of you. Uh, I don't remember getting anything <laughs> that was priceless. <laughs> God damn it. No, it was more than priceless. <laughs> yeah. Exceeded priceless. It was It was price. He had his own treasury. So that so that is my that is my explanation for Yando. I am fully prepared for people to still be mad at me about it. That's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to like talking more about that and additional justifications when it becomes more relevant for uh, you know, later on when we're talking about other stuff because I know it's gonna come up again. But that is my bare bones uh, justification for Yando. See, He's coming you back. You would have been fine. Having him die in the, the sh- like when the shard exploded, mm-hmm. I would have been okay with that. I get it; makes total sense. Like, but you had to bring him back. That's where you went wrong. Yeah, you're uh, you're too too good to pass up RP uh, little uh, invention there. What are you talking about? I I created some juicy RP for you. That's what he's saying. Like you couldn't you couldn't pass up the opportunity to to tweak us with some RP, so you had to bring back Yando as that thing. Exactly. And I and like yeah, I said, exactly. I, I will I will come I will come back to that because I do have more to say about that, but I don't want to uh just completely derail everything. Um because we're talking about in our favorite time, combats. In time I will forgive you. 
Let's just leave it okay. at that. All right. I suppose that's the best that I can ask for. Uh, who wants to go next with their favorite combat? All right. Well, I'll go next for favorite combat here. I will say I am definitely torn, but... I'm in a similar position. Yeah. I am also Thelias. (laughs) (laughs) There's way too much truth in that statement. (laughs) Uh, As much as I want to say the, uh, the fight against the haunting dark with like, just with the, the shining ballista bolt and all that, I think the ones I'm torn with, I think my favorite combat was in the, uh, the underground temple of Erasne. And it was the fight against the uh, Tengu cleric and the dragon. Just oh, from yeah. the dynamics of how that played out with the elevation changes and the the eruption of like needles and, and Doswin getting shot down. Honestly, oh, Doswin, that was badass. Doswin getting uh, shot down was probably one of my more favorite parts. Yeah, I bet it was, Tom. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Doswin, I was... I, I was not expecting Doswin to to go down so brutally there. Um, I was honestly uh, ready for Doswin to... I know there's no replacing Yandao in, in our hearts, but like I was prepared for Doswin to be like, you know, the next like I lovable think we were too. NPC with a with a silly accent. So yeah, it was we didn't really have enough time to fall in love with her like we did with Yandao, but yeah, I was still pretty struck by that. Rogar never swimming again because of the croc. <laughs> Dude, that that was so funny. All right, guys, the fucking <laughs> let's so do much. it right. <laughs> yeah, like let's do it right. Of prep. There is so much time cut out of us <laughs> just fucking jerking around preparing to cross this oh thing. My God. Yeah, dude. like. It, it it dragged in the final episode. So much got cut of these asshats just being like... It was an entire episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, all, like, I know you don't know this for sure, but I'm looking at the book going, all they have to do is throw this body in, and I'm going to describe this big, scary alligator eating the body, and they're going to be like, whoa, spooky, and then carry on with their fucking lives and that's it they were warned about it because they befriended the otus and didn't attack them this is their reward for that instead they're like botched are we sure this is the right pool maybe yeah maybe paizo look with their face yeah Maybe Paizo created a map for nothing because page count isn't important to them, and it's just a it's just a nonsense map that Alex has brought us to. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, Nick, have you gone yet for favorite combat? I no. I I was kind of torn between the haunting dark fight and um, really just that whole the the entirety of when we got. Not on, in the sewers, but like that, like underground area, um, with the those black knights, Arasni's um, temple underground there. Yeah, I think the the haunting dark fight was probably more memorable, but just all the combats when we were down below the city was so much fun because like 
I was critting my ball sack off. Tom was critting <laughs> yeah. all the time. Joe was getting in. It was just like every combat was like, yep, crit, 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 crit. And, and that was like really enjoyable. But the Haunting Dark, well, I think the combat, like the mechanics in itself was not as enjoyable. It just was so like cinematic. cinematic. Like it, I... Just in my mind, seeing, like, this zoomed-out view of the rundown city, and it's, like, dark out, and this giant wing thing is coming through the sky, and there's this, like, lit-up bolt of light. Like, it was just so cinematic and, like, also, like, on point with everything that had gone on in the city. Like, that bolt flying through the air was, like, that first moment of, like, there is still a spark of hope. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally the like the last light of hope like shooting yeah. out at this thing. Exactly. Yeah, I, like I honestly don't know what I I don't know how that combat would have ended if Rogyar or uh if Uhtred had missed. Right? Uh cuz you know this thing nearly took out Randolph with a single bite. Uh, and he was he was about to finish the job, and I think once Rogiar arrived, uh, he would have quickly been uh, targeted as the next uh, the next threat. Uh, threat. And you know, Rogiar's damage output is certainly high enough to uh, cover that hundred damage in potentially a single hit. the The Haunting Dark's AC was so high that the likelihood of him hitting was not great. So it, a lot of it would have hinged on how well Matt rolled uh, after he uh, caught up with that fight. But yeah, so and the fact that you guys hit it by, I think, one. You were, I think, one over its AC yeah. after all the bonuses and penalties were calculated. And he had to roll like uh, an 18 to get that. Like, it was an insanely good roll from Nick for that attack. Yeah. So I'm personally uh, shocked nobody said uh, the fight with Sito was their favorite fight. That was my that was my runner up. <laughs> the Cedo so, thing was like such a long time coming that it yeah. was just like and it was like Cedo, what are you doing? Like what's your deal Cedo, really? I mean, right. what's going on here? Why are you doing this? Like you seem like a bad guy this whole time and then now I have to fight you? Like really? Like, now you actually she are was a bad, a bad guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> there was no question in my mind. She was definitely a rude guy. I don't know about a bad guy. No, no, no. Right, she was bad. right. Bad. Tom, Tom just can't tell know. the difference. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I still so don't know. Here's, I, I, I here's think the, the deal with... why that fell lower down on my list was because of the the bobble we had in there. Mm-hmm. Felt like oh. it pulled old. Well, oh, my God. Yeah, we should probably explain that to the audience because yeah. that was... That would, that, it pulled that, a lot of like the impact, I feel, out of that combat. Uh, so, yeah, we... So, technically, Vipira died with that final uh, hit before the end of that episode, uh, whereas on the record, I think Vipira had, like, three hit points away from death. Um, what what was the... So, what ended we, up We figured out we made some sort of error. I'd forget what it was. I think you had forgotten to factor in some kind of bonus that Sito was getting to her damage. It was the um she uh, was overcoming Vipira's damage reduction. Yeah. Yes. But we were initially factoring in Vipira's damage reduction. Yes, that was it. Um so yeah, we we ended the 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 episode. We were ended the recording and someone was like, "Thank God Tom's got that 
damage reduction and like like what what's your damage reduction is this and it's like and they're like what what overcomes that like what weapon enhancement bonus and i was like uh-oh i honestly i probably should have just kept it to myself and we would have uh, in hindsight uh, yeah but yeah i was just like uh yeah i guess Viper is actually dead uh so we just kind of like with the understanding that Vipera was fated to die uh before the end of that combat we just kind of rolled with it from there that was uh, but it was good Vipera died against Cedo, by the way like what? thematically yes oh my god yes <laughs> uh so for Cito, i ba- i ran her basically how the book tell told me to she's supposed to just be this like grossly incompetent uh very over overconfident and smug member of the knights of ozum uh who is like your main wedge for uh successfully doing this investigation she um, was a badass though you know yes, I mean, she, yes she was for all of that you just said i mean still had a sword bigger than you know a person yeah, the second biggest very... sword in the Knights of Ozum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I kind of considered before we started book three, like changing it a little bit and making her like still kind of rude, but more uh, likable, uh, and maybe that would make the the eventual fight against her a bit more impactful, but. I with everything else going on uh by the by the time book 3 ends I think it just felt better to just have this like much more straightforward conflict of this person's been nothing but uh shitty to you and now they've straight up snapped and the only thing to do is put them down uh so you yep. do it. Uh yep. I just I felt like that was just kind of uh as far as like the flow of everything uh the better call, but well, know, we maybe even hesitated been... with that. We were like, Cito, like, yeah, I don't, yeah, why I yeah. Like, Vipera <laughs> tried to just intimidate her out of the room. I think yeah. I even got like a 29 or a 30 on it. She just not back off. She, yeah, uh, well, she's uh, I don't think I ever said it uh, officially, but she was a war priest, yeah, uh, so she has a high wisdom uh, score, which goes into the DC for intimidate and. She was just a higher, straight up higher level than you guys. So her hit die was really high. Uh, so it was a tough intimidate. Uh, question on that. Yeah. Was that avoidable? Like, the fight? Yeah. Maybe. The book assumes that you guys fight her and kill her. Certainly, like, something could have happened where you subdue her or... Actually, there there is a... There is, like, a, a very slim window of hit points before she went down that she could have reached and tried to retreat but yeah it was it was meant to be a very straightforward pathfinder combat uh no like you know pacifist version sorry i i just realized how long we talked about that fight that wasn't even my favorite fight i was just surprised that nobody (laughs) talked about it my favorite that we just did (laughs) (laughs) my favorite fight was the it was the final combat uh, you guys were on the the Golden Dawn Rose, and you had like you are just running on fumes. You've gone through all of this shit to try to get these people out of the city. You're on the fucking boat, and there's, <laughs> and there's just there's this fight. <laughs> one last fight, and it's a really well rounded fight. 
Uh, it's got like there's just so many different variables in that fight in terms of just types of enemies, ways that you could be attacked and damaged and debuffed and crowd controlled. Uh, and the enemies enter the combat in a staggered way. Like first the giant snapping turtle approaches and just, you know, starts raising hell and the undead don't appear until I think either the end of that round or like the end of the next round or something like that. But yeah. And like Uhtred like almost got killed by getting swallowed by that turtle. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, and the, the singular undead wound up really not being that much of a threat. The The biggest threat, I think, was the the troop, the, the Droger troop. Um, yeah, with and, that nausea aura and everything. Yeah. Yep, yep. And the difficult terrain that it was creating. And I don't think this actually came up, but I, I was waiting for it because it would have been such a fuck you. Uh, the troop had evasion. So, <laughs> like, the, like, the single most likely fallback against a swarm slash troop is like a fireball or a lightning bolt, but it has evasion. So if it makes its reflex save, it just takes no damage. Uh, So I was waiting for that to come up because it it just would have sucked. It would have been such a morale uh, killer. Uh, But yeah, just the, that like just one final combat, just put everything we got into this. Uh, We've come so far. It just, and it, I think it delivered uh, in in doing that. It just felt like this was like, it, it felt like one combat too many, and it was supposed yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. That was the most surprising combat of the whole thing for me. I think it was like just defeated the big bad, no yeah. spells, no HP. <laughs> Another co- it was like you can't be serious. And then like you said, the staggering, like after the there was it was even more after the step. I'm like. I honestly thought there might have been one after that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to lose my mind. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> I like that combat was designed to just make you think that it's literally never going to end. Yeah. It like the city itself sure. doesn't want you to leave. Uh, and I think it, it really delivered on that. That's why it's my favorite combat. Yeah, that was sweet. Good call. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go to the complete opposite side of the spectrum here and let's talk about the everybody's uh favorite funny moment or funniest moment of from book three this one feels tough yeah i mean for me it's it's it has to be randolph roaming around the city with thelias like putting a fucking disguise on him and shit (laughs) (laughs) oh that was cute yeah we've had some good antics in book three yeah i mean toast uh wrote a song about it and uh, I, I wish I wish I could listen to it, but apparently the uh, the the file is corrupted. But I read the lyrics and I just fucking love it so much. That's oh, uh, gotta listen to that ASAP. But yeah. I, I just I mean it's tough because like yeah that moment was kind of like lighthearted and goofy, but like I'm struggling to think of a lot of like that like obviously there was funny things when we were recording and we laughed a bunch recording, but like in game content. Book three just felt like an emotional gut shot from start to finish. There, there wasn't. I, I didn't feel like there was a lot of moments where in character I was like, Haha, "Jokes." Yeah, I'll tell you, not funny, but I think the most fun uh, part of book three was that interrogation montage that we did. That oh, was a that lot was, of yeah, fun. That's a good one. I that was really fun to do actually. 
That was probably the most lighthearted thing we did the whole book. <laughs> Maybe. Did anybody <laughs> else have something? I got I got one. Uh, All right. Related to Cito uh, and Tom's character, I was just laughing my nose. Like, from the very beginning, Tom, like, Tom was not putting up with Cito's shit. Yep. <laughs> and it was like, they had cropped up so many times. Uh, like, Tom would just be role-playing against Cito, and it wasn't like a haha this is funny in game but like to me personally tom's like got this book log vendetta going it developed it into a legitimate racist against the knights yeah. of ozum yeah seriously it was like uh it was like a villain origin story Yo, or something <laughs> like watch to watch that play out in someone's mind i'm kind that, of I, that I, was I, really entertaining and then in the end vipira was not victorious against Cena. like that was the best part yeah that yeah that, that, that felt like very poetic justice to a degree. Right? It's just like this. But I'd like to remind, she swung first. Yeah, Han shot first, we know. <laughs> it was funny, too, because Vipira just jumped the gun on Cito. Like, she just, like, waited a little bit to give her attitude. I feel like. Right? It would have felt more like, sense. yeah, Vipira, she is a bitch, but like, yep. she was like, hi, I'm Cito, and Vipira was like, fuck you, bitch, you like hell suck. You so from that point on, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, Cito's being an asshole, but like, I probably would be too. Yep. Cito, yeah, Cito's being Cito, and Vipira took that personally. <laughs> that, that was just, I mean, that wasn't like funny but that whole i mean it went on for so long and there was so much about it it was just that was great honestly the entire uh i think when we originally uh or was it the second time that we met uh cedo that me and her really got into that spat that like really solidified the entire thing whatever I mean, whatever time she chopped a table in half because of yep. viper yep, it was yep, like, yep. there's no repairing this i, I think that was the second um, one uh, it's tough. No, it was definitely not the second. And I think Vipira might have just been straight up absent for one of them. But <clears throat> yeah, well, the, the table getting chopped in half was was absolutely the moment where Sito was, you know, like went went full renegade cop. He's like, I just want to throw away my badge and go after the scumbag <laughs> off the books. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that's it's hilarious. Throw <laughs> with my badge. Pull an Elliot Stabler. Yeah. Um, I, I I have I have another one. I'm gonna just I'm gonna go twice since there are so few uh, funny things. Like as Nick said, um, and is also back on Vipira. It was when when we collectively as a group realized that Tom who hates dungeon crawling <laughs> created a PC Vipera who hates uh, intrigue and social interactions. <laughs> and we were just like, Tom, why are you even here? <laughs> yeah, that was good. It was definitely uh, anybody... a struggle at that moment. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Some real existential shit. R- Richter's throwing out the, uh, the pool crossing with the crocodile. My no, only nothing, problem with that, nothing funny that, about it, that it did not. It was not funny <laughs> dealing with that. I'm sure I mean, it was hilarious to listen you, to, but like and, for and, us, and it was a, a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> However bad you guys thought it was, I like I'm I was the one who saw that just like all you have to do is just do it. You just do it. Like um do we have any others? Any other moments before we move on? I'm uh, I'm thinking I'll be like rekindle. It's tough for me to remember all this stuff. I'll, um, I'll I'll say this. Uh my I mean yeah, the the Cedo moment was like one of my favorite moments, but it wasn't so like funny for me. <laughs> Like everybody else on the outside, maybe, but uh, one of my uh, one of the better times is like when our genus first like met up with the group. <laughs> like, oh god, the team meeting. <laughs> Nick, uh, <laughs> Nick goes, Tom, you're acting like a crack addict right now. <laughs> Sudden movements. Yeah. That I was about to bring up something just like that. One of my another funny moment was just just Joe during that whole team meeting thing yeah. when he calls a team meeting and then like Rogar goes over there and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, members of his team go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> he's just like, "Yeah, just like, fucking crazy person, get away from me." <laughs> All right, so let's move on from there. And let's talk about our favorite character moments. Boy, there are a lot. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of good ones. This was this was a dense book. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, it was a lot more character driven than the other two. I think. I gotta say, I think for me, my favorite character moment in this whole book, honestly, like it's it's very close between pretty much all of Uhtred's stuff because this was very much his backstory coming to the fore. Yeah. But I think my favorite is the conversation he had in the tavern with his brother. Like when the brother like climbed up the side and snuck in. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was cool. That was so unexpected. Yeah. I yeah, I didn't see that coming. Like, yeah, and that's part of why it was my favorite, because like Nick had no idea that was coming. So just to have him in character playing that out was yeah. really cool to see. Yeah, it yep. was super cool. Nick was like, I think prepared to. I think he was like, he already went invisible. And he was like preparing to like throw a lightning bolt down the window or something. Yeah, I I had uh, cast frostbite. Oh, okay, yeah. and it was. I was like, for me, like when that was happening too. I was like, because I had decided that I wanted to still do Uhtred's normal watch that night, even though we were in an inn in town. So like when you were like somebody's climbing up the. S- you hear something out the window. It sounds like someone's climbing up. I was so convinced, like, somebody was coming in to attack us. Like, yep. One of my favorite character moments was actually in the Mindscape. Uh, oh, yeah. And we had, like, you know, kind of, <laughs> it was just kind of like, whose trauma is, theme- what, you know, whose trauma is the theme of the next room? And um, <laughs> I, I feel like. Kind of up to this point, like, Randolph's connection to the everyone else in the group was the fact that he was, like, just the translator for Thalias. Yeah. And, like, we went through the Mindscape, and when him and Uhtred were um, in that room from Nineves, and, like, that trauma was just so real and fresh on Randolph, like, it that was the moment where it felt like Randolph became part of the group because he shared in like that horrific trauma of us like Uchid looked at him and was like I know that exact pain yeah yeah that was wild the whole mindscape thing that was uh, so do not recommend <laughs> <laughs> so on the on the topic of the mindscape I've been waiting to talk about this um so I 
the the players i think all know that it was completely uh added uh this this was an alex special uh to I, the, I don't uh, think the we knew that like originally it was like an episode we went through before you shared that uh, okay uh well so i basically all the rooms that everybody went with went through was uh it was just kind of cobbled together by me beforehand out of all of the maps that the books had already provided us with and i just kind of like jammed it all together and it was it it looked horrible and it was a mess but i like that kind of worked for it in my opinion um so here's the thing you guys went into the sewers uh, at the beginning of the adventuring day and you proceeded all the way through uh, that underground temple and defeated Yosijuan in that same adventuring day. The uh, Radiant Fire goes off as you guys are fighting him or shortly after you finish fighting him uh, and you're expected to rush back up to the surface to see what's going on because why wouldn't you? There's any expectation that the players are supposed to be able to find the time peace and quiet to rest from that point is non-existent. So I was looking through all this going, when the fuck are they supposed to rest? Like if like maybe they rest in the sewers, maybe they rest in this underground temple because it was tough getting there. But what if they don't? I kind of started brainstorming. Well, maybe like the radiant fire, like makes the obols in their hearts like throb super painfully and they pass out and that's how they get their rest. And I was like, all right, that 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 works. It's kind of crude, but it works. Uh, and then from there, I kind of started building, you know, other possibilities. And uh, Gildeus is another was another addition, like not to the campaign. Uh, he's he's part of the campaign, but he isn't introduced until. Uh, much later but i thought especially since before going to vigil you were specifically told about him and told to keep an eye out for him uh, it didn't really make any sense that he wasn't there at all um so i was like well gildeus is down there and the pcs cannot hope to defeat him in fact he just fucking waves his hand and they're in a mindscape boom uh so that served the purpose of introducing Gildeus as this uh, kind of unknown in the terms of power scaling, uh, but probably kind of a badass. And also, I just force you to rest, but in a way that uh, still has a narrative purpose and punch to it. Ah, that's pretty crafty. Thank you. Uh, who else has a favorite character moment? The... um. So I'm not sure this is really favorite character moment, but I just popped into my head and uh, I have questions on it. The sh- the whole shield of Arneson thing with the uh, the shattered shield of Arneson. Yes, and it also had another name. Yes, it was the shield of the god. Shield of Arneson. It was during the Shining Crusade, 900 years ago. It was the shield of Arden. The Whispering Tyrant uh, did some high-level magic stuff, and exploded the, the shield, and it turned into the shattered shield of Arnesent. Arnesent being the man who wielded it when it exploded. So that's why it has 
even though it's the same shield in you know material it has two different monikers named after two different people so the the blacksmith that we had to hook up with yes and the house burning down that was all very cool i like that a lot it was like a it was like a like a goose chase you know yeah we don't really even know what it is that we're doing necessarily i mean we've got some you know thread to pull on but it was like uh we didn't have a lot i, I when just we first got to vigil yeah right? yeah we had like theories right. but nothing concrete it wasn't like all right go do this this and that it was like all right well figure it out and i remember like the whole group you know sort of like character but like group development like all the moments in there were just really interesting to me like i i can't pinpoint like an exact moment but that whole arc of you know finding the mysteries of the shield of arnison you know yeah it was definitely you had the blacksmith you had the saboteur you had the six the um those uh, six wise crows the wise crows there's just a lot in there that uh that was cool i really like that that whole arc yeah it, it was especially when you went back after uh you were finished with uh, the interrogation and the Harrow reading. You went you went back to follow up with uh, Bruna. Um, right. And right. you kind of started like, you were like, we're looking for, you know, did you make this? Like, we're, we're, we're following a lead. We don't really know why, but it led right. us here. And so, like, up until that point, you were just kind of chasing your tails a little bit. Like, you were you were kind of being pointed in a direction, go there. And then you find another clue that doesn't really give you much information other than pointing you in another direction, go there. And that eventually right. brought you to Bruna's. And it was once once you got talking to her it was like the first time that the semblance of there could be a very real problem here when she kind of starts piecing things together where like, oh, like maybe somebody did swap out the Shattered Shield of Artisan at watchers tour using this thing that i made and if they left one piece there it would still have its magical aura uh like still not like still not enough pieces to like like put anything substantial together know what is happening but like the like the the semblance of like an actual plot starts to kind of yeah rear yeah, up. yeah yeah it's like all right you guys are in vigil good luck and then yeah. we got on that arc and everything sort of just um sort of from a story perspective you know like the narrative i thought that was super cool i didn't expect it i didn't expect a lot of the things that happened in this book yeah and that was one of the and i feel like it developed our characters and our team and our purpose a lot it was just it was a lot bigger than i even knew because while you're doing it you don't know how big it is yeah you know, i was just like oh yeah i'm gonna go do this thing now i will say that for a book for for an AP that is so uh, hyper focused on uh, like combat survival horror, it's brutal. It's almost nothing but dungeon crawls and combats. And up until book three, like very very minimal NPC interaction, like on a social level, um, right? And so book three is like, at least for the first half, it's this investigation, which is very intrigue heavy and not at all what the campaign has been uh and so like i i really like how 
straightforward yet still like mysterious they made the investigation because like you're not making characters expected to like be very good at solving a mystery you're you've (laughs) you made characters who have even if not from level one uh like you've had to build to be able to survive a survival horror campaign uh so all of a sudden we're in this investigation it's like well my character's really good at like blasting air out of his hand but like i can't like just go around dazzle people with my diplomacy checks and like try to you know chase these leads so like i think they did a really good job of making the investigation very very easy very simple but there were still all these moving pieces it was still it's still a very complicated story overall but it was very uh linear and easy to follow yeah uh has anybody not gone yet for a favorite character moment my favorite character moment uh probably has to be like vipira with her mom oh oh yeah i like that happened really early on uh and i was like i was waiting for that for that to kind of like drop off but it just didn't quite tom, make it through uh tom loves making characters with unresolved shit with their moms yeah yeah <laughs> i do oh i don't know if that's an issue that i should tom do you need into, to go talk but... to your mom <laughs> you know what the best part of the whole uh mom thing was for me and my character was it's like okay we've got how you completely disassociated from the entire thing well we've got everyone here like now we just gotta stick together and uh you know we've got a whole new world to be uh in now we're out of the boneyards you know we gotta it's like, all right, we're like, this is the group. Let's stay together. We've got a new path. And then Viper is like, okay, guys, I'm going off in the woods with my mother. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go on without me uh, over there. You know, I'll, I'll catch up with you guys. Like, no. Who, who is this crazy person? <laughs> don't, don't go over there. No, no, no. It's cool. No, it's not cool. Do not go over there. Yeah, okay, bye. Oh my yeah. god. Just hands up. Like, I whatever <laughs> unbelievable yep it is a shame that we won't be able to see vipera kind of follow up with that because anybody who knows a lot about changelings in pathfinder uh is they are always female and they're always the uh daughters of hags and most of the time uh hags they're you know absent for most of the changelings lives but they eventually once the changeling comes of age they go and find them and they say hey you want to be a hag too it's pretty awesome and the changeling goes okay and then they become a hag and a non-playable character now obviously as a pc you have a lot more agency on uh how you play that out if you know it ever gets played out at all like maybe you're playing a changeling who is uh much older and maybe has already had that entire thing and it's part of like your backstory or something I, it would have been interesting for me i think to to watch uh vipera grapple with that decision because it was going to be kind of forced on her you know to to make that decision of uh eventually but you it, a hag or not you in or out yeah exactly. so uh something that um <laughs> So, uh, when Vipira 
died, quote unquote, uh, you know, after the uh, after the session there. Um, I was in conversation with Alex uh, over it because I was in limbo for two weeks straight and I was not having a good time. And uh, I even brought very up out of character for Tom. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, He's usually such a straight shooter. Yeah, I I brought up to Alex like you know even if like even if Vipera somehow survived, I would probably still write her off because I know she's supposed to be dead. And I was like even thinking about just keep like just. Uh, writing her off uh, as like going to her mom uh, for more power for the sole purpose of uh, defeating the tyrant. Tom's creation of Vipera was like a suicidal character. Yeah. Well, like Vipera is to Tom what like that first hookup is after you break up from a long relationship. (laughs) Only it dragged on for three, for like way Way longer than it should have. (laughs) Three years later and a kid. Yeah. Eventually, you're just like you're figuring out how far you can push this person until they end things with you. <laughs> yeah. Yep that that is 100 percent uh, Tom's relationship with Vipera. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, here's my uh, favorite. What? What? <laughs> well, I, I was gonna say before you, I thought you were gonna move off of character moment, but if you're giving yours, I can't. no, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. Um. I, I'm not really sure where this would fit in, so that's why I was thinking it would make sense here. But um, I don't know if it was my favorite character moment, but maybe most impactful character moment for Rogyar was at the end where he actually, like, left. Yeah. Because that had yeah. kind of been, like, looming in the background for, like, three books now, right? Like, what would Rogyar do if he ever actually had the opportunity to be like, I can go see my family now? Yeah, yeah. You guys went through two books where just that just literally wasn't an option, right? I, I guess I always assumed that Rogyar would just continue to find reasons to continue along, uh, stay because, together for the kids. Like, like the stakes <laughs> just get higher and higher as his campaign has gone on. So like, and he was not like, a low impact character either, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. You I was anything well, to say about that. Yeah, I mean, he probably doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing. You know, no water off my back. No, uh, I feel like I should kind of explain how that came about. Too, I knew Rogar was leaving for probably a good what, like three or four months before we got to the end of book book three. I think it was before you guys even went into the sewers yeah yeah it was um but basically i like to like i am a redditor i go on reddit quite a lot and then uh i like to both you know promote the podcast and answer questions on the pathfinder subreddit because i like showing off that i know things (laughs) (laughs) so I go on the, the subreddit and someone has, oh, I have a question about Tyrant's Grasp. So I was like, oh, we're playing that. I can plug the podcast and answer a question. And the first 
fucking sentence of the post is, yeah, so I nuked Vigil, and I went, fuck, and closed the thread. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, it was too late. I knew what was coming, and it, it, like just the way, the tone of that sentence, like, okay, so that's unavoidable. It's going to happen. So then it gets in my head, all right, well, how's Rogier going to react to that? And I just could not, I could not justify to myself how to have Rogiar keep going at that point. Like, that sense of hopelessness that would come from that, I just, there there was there was no way he would be able to just keep going on this mission like this. Like, that that is like the lowest of the low. That is like the, the abyss of hopelessness. And Rogiar is like, well, we're all fucked anyway, so instead of throwing myself at this, instead of bashing my head against this wall, I'm going to go spend what time I have left with my family. So that's kind of what I was working towards for the, the pretty much the last half of book three. And it's, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, it's not like it's out of place at all. It's it's right on brand. Yeah. It's like, it's, it feels like that's what you should have done. It's just so hard to have done that. Just yeah. without cheating. <laughs> well, I, I think too, like, not leaving when we got out of the Bastion of the Light, like, you could justify Rogar staying with us because if we defeat the Whispering Tyrant, it protects his family. But once Vigil got blown up and he knew that there was ten more areas that this could happen to at any time, like, him defeating right. the Whispering Tyrant doesn't necessarily guarantee his family's safety anymore. It just really sucks that uh, Rogar flew away with... Uh, one of the pieces of the Shattered Shield of Arneson in his back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> How convenient. Uh, so, uh, what was I going to say? Yes. Um, Vigil getting blown up like that, uh, I I don't know, honestly, most of the Pathfinder APs. Like, I, I haven't read any that I haven't ran, um, but I, I imagine... That the blowing up of Vigil has to be one of the biggest, if not like easily top five, uh, biggest like developments of any AP, like on on a a macro world building level. Yeah, I think uh, the only things that might come close would be like, like Return of the Rune Lords. Like Return of the Rune Lords probably has some like world defining stuff. But I know Tyrant's Grass was supposed was always meant to be like this world changing finale to first edition. Yeah. Uh and the fact that it happens less than halfway through the campaign. Uh yeah. Like if if this was like the big like if we ended like book five with Vigil getting blown up and it's like, all right, we got like now it's personal. We got like one last big book of like taking the fight back to the whispering tyrant after what he did like maybe rogar still would have left but like it would have maybe matt could have justified it better on like on, on his end but yeah like considering how you you have over half a campaign left to go after the city gets blown yeah. up like like what 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 is there still in store for right. us yeah um, well, um favorite gm development moment yeah the, the amount of times that he said vigil population and all that <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> that was funny and, okay <laughs> yes this so this was this was my favorite character moment the population count the the book at, at the end of the book it 
kind of it, it 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 breaks down those numbers and it says like if the PCs did this, if they did that, uh, then you know corresponding actions save this many lives in the long run. And yeah. as the GM, you should communicate this to the players in some way so they understand that uh, the impact of their actions because it's important because the theme of this campaign is not go kill the big shiny monster the theme of this campaign is help and save as many people as you can so so i figured out that i could use this to my advantage uh in two really big ways one Starting every episode before the blast with reminding you what the population was because it a it was funny as hell because yeah. for a while I don't think you guys even realized that I no. was doing this. But no, no. And, it, like well, it was narrative. You're, you're well you're like yeah, but the first couple times Yeah, was, like the first time I say it, you're just like yeah, the first time I say it, you're like, oh, okay, we're in the city. He's telling us a big city. He's giving us second yeah. time. Like, it's yeah, like, like, all right, maybe he's repeating himself. Third time, it's like, all right, he can he can stop now. Like, yeah, like fourth, the, fifth, the first time, the first bunch was all. It was like, yeah, okay, you're around people again. You're not just in this right. this ruined wasteland. And the more it goes on, the more you're like, why is this feeling ominous? Yeah. So yeah. I was act- I was honestly starting to get a little. Uh, what's the word? Um deflated because it felt like nobody was ever going to say anything about it because we went a fair amount of episodes into you know arriving in vigil and beyond before somebody finally said something about it <laughs> yeah you broke me dude i was like and but I'm losing but my mind once... <laughs> am i taking crazy pills he keeps saying the number <laughs> once someone finally brought it up though i fucking knew i was like we're in the game is on <laughs> because uh, like at that point it was clear i was i was doing this on purpose yep um and the implication was pr- pretty obviously bad like i, I wasn't i wasn't thing. i wasn't I'm, I'm not like like running for mayor of vigil or something and being like our bustling city of 11,500 right. people um so and you could argue that it kind of took away from the eventual surprise of the city getting attacked the way it did but for me it heart it harkens back to one of my favorite horror movies the evil dead remake there's a a, a point in the movie like after like the the bad stuff starts to happen the main girl like she gets like attacked and possessed by this demon and just spooky shit starts to happen and you're as an audience, you're kind of being uh, taught how the spooky stuff works. Like you're you're kind of given a pattern of things. Like the book kind of like gets blown open by this like spooky breeze, and it flips to a page, and it shows you this horrible thing on this page, and then that horrible thing happens to somebody who has been affected by the the evil magic. Uh, and it like directly correlates to the thing that you see on the page, uh, boiled alive. And somebody like is in the shower. They turn the water up way hotter than they they should, and they get like like first second degree burns. Uh, later on in the movie, somebody else gets like possessed. The book flips to a random page, and you see them. You see an illustration of somebody with a knife in one hand. And the other hand is their own face, and it's like just their skull on like like they they've they've cut their face off. 
and you're like, oh shit. And then like one of their friends goes into the bathroom to be like, hey, you've been here for a while. Everything okay? The lights are off. It's spooky lighting. And like, they're just kind of like slowly going deeper and deeper into the bathroom. And you can just hear. And you know what is happening. Eventually they show it and she's like cut a huge like gouge out of her face. And for me, when I was watching, when they showed it, I was like, oh, thank God. Because I I could finally see it. Right. And not seeing it, hearing the sh- 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 that was the single, like, gut-wrenching, most skin-crawling part of that entire movie for me. Uh, so, for me, saying population 11,500, that was my sh- 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 uh, until finally the city blew up. But then, because the whole reason I started doing this was for the end of the book, for when it's actually a good thing. So I could then use the population counter as a new tool to double down on the absolute hopelessness of this. And as Toast has already brought up, I started saying population unknown uh, every at the beginning of every single episode. And now I'm going to talk about Yando again. Uh, trigger warning. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so when... At the very end of the book, when I finally go over, like, you save this many people by doing this and this and this and this, and then I end with the plus one for Uhtred's niece, that was meant to be, like, the single highest, most hopeful moment of the entire book, because it's this, you know, new new life uh, in the face of this horrible tragedy, the human race perseveres it moves on but to get the most oomph out of that moment i basically pulled out as many stops as i possibly could and you can say that i made a dick move uh and i was just complete asshole with what i did with yando because i didn't make any rolls and that's fine i i I'll, i'll take that but for me i had a very specific reason for doing that and it was just one more gut punch like, because the lower the PCs felt right before I go over the population count, the better that plus one was going to feel, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Can I roll sense motive? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't think you ever expected the amount of backlash when you were conceptualizing that. And I don't think that was factored into your decision to do it or not. Well, he's you a mastermind. Are... <laughs> I I absolutely expected to get backlash. Uh, as much, maybe. I I was I I certainly had not quantified how much backlash I I was in for, but I I knew it was not going to be a happy. Oh well, uh, yeah, a happy. Uh, nobody was going to be oh, like, yeah, yeah. Alex. <laughs> You're sitting there writing down a note like. Nobody will mind this at all. <laughs> um, so, well, so I've, 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 I've convinced Toast, but I, I think Lord Richter has just doubled down on on me being the worst. Um, but I, I guess, I guess, like, like I said, granted, I, I'm, I'm not gonna try to, you know, justify what I did to Yando as, you know, just see it my way, and it, if you don't, then you just don't get it, like. I get it. And Tyrant's Grasp as a campaign is not for everybody. Most 
there, it gets a lot of hate, a lot more hate than I think it deserves uh, among Pathfinder fans for various reasons that we'll have to wait a very long time for. But um, the, so, yeah, just like how how dreary and how hopeless and and all that, like a lot of people like to play Pathfinder and games like it to have, you know, fuck yeah, kill all the the demons and the goblins and everything is funny and high spirits all the time. And that's totally fine. Like I remember when we had fun, we played skull and shackles and uh, those were, when those our, were great our, times. I remember uh, when we had a good time. Two shots of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> but those two days, shops are sad. Yeah. But those days are behind us and we're sad now. And uh, this is, this is our, this is our life for the next uh, probably year and a half. Yeah. Uh, if not more. <laughs> so yeah, like, I, I guess that's that's the last I have to say about Yando. Uh, if if you if you still are are mad at me about that, then that's fine. And I, I, I said I, my I, piece. I, if if you say I deserve uh, shit for it, then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with it because it was nonetheless. It, it, I meant for it to be a shitty development, but I can un- I a hundred percent understand if anybody feels like I went too far with it. Okay. Um let's that's the last round table I think uh for like the miscellaneous stuff uh like our book 3 highlights. Um let's bring it around to some listener questions. Uh let's we'll, we'll start with the top. I I've already answered uh Lord Richter's second question, why Yando you horse's ass. Um and <laughs> we'll do the other one. Uh could you explain that Nessie scene in the mindscape for everyone? Uh, so for anybody who is not active on our discord, uh, our discord server, uh, Shame and on you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing with your lives? Uh, and honestly, for many people who are, and still have absolutely no idea what, uh, what that, that scene was about with the, uh, with the Loch Ness monster in the, the mindscape, uh, our very own Lord Richter, uh, longtime friend of the podcast, just kind of one day, uh, very early into our Tyrant's Grasp playthrough, created this really fucking weird plot twist, like can- like canon part of the uh, the the backstory of of the campaign involving Tarbafan, the uh, the campaign's villain, having some sort of romantic relationship with Nessie the Loch Ness monster. I won't pretend to understand uh the machinations of Lord Richter. Uh I <laughs> he's a it, genius. It just kind he just kind of willed it into uh it being a thing. Is he blackmailing and... you? Are you okay? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> uh and I knew I wanted to do something with it. I didn't really know how I was going to do it in a way that for me and my GM style, it would be justified because like there, there are plenty of GMs who are just all about like complete nonsense and like it's, it's awesome or it's cool or it's funny. So we're going to put it in. Who cares? if It doesn't make sense. And that's totally fine. I personally am not that kind of GM. And if I put something into a campaign I'm running, I want it to be cohesive and, make sense in like the established lore slash logic of 
that world. Um, was was this the last time that uh, we will see Nessie? Uh, who knows? But uh, I figured in a mindscape where literally anything can happen, that was the best. That was the best introduction in that campaign, at least. And uh, I, I feel I, I should uh, specify. I said Tarbafon had this romantic relationship with with Nessie. Uh, the 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 real uh, lore behind that is uh, it's, it's a spurned relationship. Tarbafon and Nessie they ended things on a very bad note. And exactly what happened in their relationship, I can't wait to find out because you know we who knows. But that is uh, that's to my to my knowledge that that pretty succinctly sums up the that net the Nessie scene in the 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 dreamscape all right let's uh let's do another question uh to kale from our discord server asks did utrid's other brother ever make it out of the city this is the the brother that climbed up the side of the inn and had that heart to heart with with utrid uh utrid implored him to get out of the city uh the city wasn't safe and he said, okay, I think I know a good spot to go to be safe. And we never saw him again. Um, according to Ro- Roland, uh, when, when Roland and Uhtred, uh reunited after the city got uh, attacked, uh, Roland said that everybody, like the, the, the Bebenbur family was, was dead. Maybe this was an inaccurate accounting. But that is the uh, that's the reporting that we got from uh, from Uchid's brother. I think it's pronounced Royland. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I think I would know how my brother's name is pronounced. Okay, I don't think that you would. <laughs> <laughs> how do you say a Luna again? <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite mispronunciation from Nick, and maybe we should make this a, a roundtable discussion going forward. Um, oh, I don't like the is idea from of that. <laughs> it's from it's from Skull and Shackles when you guys uh had just finished uh duking it out with this uh with the that hobgoblin Gordas Svard and uh his ship the Devil's Parlor and Nick was all like yeah here we are on the ship the Devil's Parlor <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it I so mean, that, much that just works <laughs> yeah <great>. I know <laughs> the fact that the devil would have any room whose function and like decoration would justify it being called a parlor. Uh, it was just so funny to me. Anyway, um, all right, let's do one more question. Uh, Josh from Discord asks Alex, "What is your least favorite class, and why is it still kineticist?" Uh, I I don't dislike the kineticist. I actually like the kineticist a lot. I, I played a telekineticist in uh, uh, semi briefly. Um, is that in... an over-the-phone kineticist? <laughs> uh, it is a kineticist who uh, does not employ a an element. It's actually like a telekinesis. Oh, yeah, your your sense. thing was uh, coins, right? Yeah, yeah, so you don't need a specific object. Like the power just kind of says you launch a nearby unattended object as your projectile, and I was like. I don't want to like, I feel like it's a cop out to just say there's always an object around me because maybe sometimes there's not going to be. Um, I could just buy like arrows or something. Uh, and then I realized that the cheapest thing for me to huck it at enemies was literally just copper pieces. Uh, so I was a, a gnome telekineticist and I, I hucked copper pieces at enemies. That was in uh, 
the Kingmaker campaign that Matt ran before he did Skull and Shackles. No, Matt, we will see, not release kinda... the tapes. Don't even ask. <laughs> Shutting that down that, uh... before it even starts in the chat. <laughs> that that makes me think that my character idea in one of those uh, games we played before of cornering the copper market. Yep. What would a kineticist yeah. who used <laughs> copper coins to do his thing? I mean, I could have raked him over the coals. He made a fortune <laughs> I, on that guy. I know. I, it wasn't a super long list. It didn't. I, I, I ran out of of puns pretty quick, but I came with a pre written a pre written list of of money slash copper based things <laughs> to shout as I pelted people with money. Uh, <laughs> like you can take that to the bank or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, they were. It was bad. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that was the whole point. Um, but uh, least favorite class is it still necromancer? Um, <laughs> well, it's not. It's it's more like a build that you can give to a fair few different classes. Um, I'll, I'll say that my I, I don't think I have a least favorite class in in so much that like I don't like it. Can't think of a class in Pathfinder First Edition that I just don't like, um, but I'll say that my the the class that I wish they had kind of done one more rewrite on is the medium, uh, because it uh, flavor wise is one of my favorite classes, um, and you certainly can build a competent medium, but you have to like you know, be very specific with it. Like they're, they're, they make very good ranged characters or melee characters. Uh, but they're the, the spirit of the medium is that every single day you can basically build a completely different character. One day you can have an arcane caster. Another day you can have a divine caster. Another day you could have a skill monkey slash rogue. Another day you could have a uh, fighter. Another day you could have a, like a bard kind of character. And it's designed to be able to do that. But unless you're building that damage dealing archer slash fighter, uh, you're gonna kind of suck at it. Yeah, it's a ver- build that is very versatile in the things it can do, but it's never very good at any of them. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of a character I want to play where he's level one in like a billion, <laughs> uh, well, like whatever level he is, he's multi class yep. every single level. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, note to self, I'm keeping Randolph alive, whatever I do. <laughs> Have a level 20 character that has one level and 20 classes. Yep. God. So we, we, we'll go back to more questions a little bit later. But in the meantime, let's move on and let's talk about some character growth. We can look specifically at character growth from book three, uh, or we can look at a character's growth from book one or, you know, whenever they got introduced to the end of, to the end of book three, uh, and just talk about, you know, how that character has grown, uh, what we liked about it. Um, let's start with Uhtred, the only remaining original PC. Um, I feel like actually a large chunk of this book was, uh, almost a little bit of like backwards character growth. Like, I felt like the last third of the book, Uchu was really becoming, like, almost corrupted a little bit in the sense of, like, defeating Tarbifon was so over-the-top important that the me- any means would justify getting to that end. 
I think the birth of his goddaughter kind of anchored him back to the like no wait a minute we we're, you know, we're not hopeless i don't have to sell my soul necessarily yet to accomplish this yeah uh i'll i would disagree with you though that, that labeling that as backwards character development i think i i know why you use that verbiage because it was you know he uh, wasn't improving as a person that's why i would right. say backwards yeah um i i really loved how Uhtred had that it it wasn't you know it wasn't like a super dragged out uh thing like it was only it only had a like an episode or two to to foster if even that uh but the fact that Uhtred had to actually like sit down and like seriously consider uh those the 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 two choices that he had in front of him and it, it wasn't just an obvious answer uh i think speaks volumes at you nick the uh as the player how far you've come in your role playing uh that you've created this character who is dynamic enough to have uh to have the capacity to have that uh dilemma so i like I, you know i my my favorite character moment was the the population count but the, like utrid's uh grappling with that decision was absolutely a, a runner-up for that well thanks Uhtred has been uh very kind of kind of like self-driving car i kind of just <laughs> turn it on and he he comes out like I, a lot of it's not like thought out or premeditated it's just reactionary it's just such a tough trudge in book three it was and honestly it was like especially for Uhtred just everything dealing with his family I feel like was a big part of I think undercutting his growth from the first two books so that you could kind of get to that point at the end with the birth of your niece where it, it helped you helped anchor you moving forward so like you you went through all of this stuff building up and like overcoming the shame of your past in books one and two only for book three to come and you, you come to meet your stepmother and and your brother and his wife and they're all just so dismissive just like i thought we got rid of you what the fuck are you doing here only f- to you know then again bring it back at the end of the book with the reconciliation with the family that you have left i thought that was a nice nice like kind of dip and then resurgence towards the end yeah, I have, I have to give a lot of credit to Axel on that because I had like, you know, before we started the campaign and we had kind of wrote up like what our character was and whatever backstory we had, I like had a little blurb in there about like, yeah, the reason why like Uhtred was like a young boy, you know, squiring on this party was because like, you know, dad remarried and like the new stepmom didn't like him and just like wanted him gone but that was like pretty much the extent of it It was just kind of like a little two sentence thing to ex- to explain why Uhtred was so young and in the military and uh i like actually didn't like include me on any of that coming into the book like so like i was getting that for the first time as you guys were getting it and i thought he did a nice job like having just the one brother Gerald like 
still have good feelings towards Uhtred, even though it was so long ago, was like a good way to like kind of keep that hook from Uhtred just being like, all right, you know, fuck all you. Like, yeah, exactly. It was just enough to keep him invested while still keeping that that pain of the family struggle alive. Anyone else have any thoughts on on Uhtred's development as we've gone along here? Uh, I just really love the character Uhtred. He's like a he's like a rock, you know, like a foundation that you can sort of uh, have the party around. And I think it's important that every party has like a you a know, franchise player, least, a franchise player. That's what it is, Nick. That's what it is. Yeah, he's a franchise player. Uh, very much like the Devoth of last campaign. Kind of the guideship wow. of this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Philias is wow. the new Devoth. <laughs> he cannot be defeated after he's been defeated. He can only be defeated once. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a big Uhtred fan. I think he'd done a great job with him. Yeah, Uhtred's been fantastic this whole way. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed him. I, I think even though we're only halfway in, he's pretty easily my favorite character I've ever played. Yeah, I love his voice too. I think you're very consistent and excellent with the voice. Oh yeah. yes, I, I'll be honest. I was really not sure about venturing into doing like a voice for the character because I had never done it. But I felt like it added so much more realism to Devoth and like listening back to episodes. Like it was. Oh yeah, it was so easy to understand. It was that set in character or not in character. Um, yep. And I, I was like, I'd actually like messed around with like a voice changer that I was thinking about using. So every time I yeah, I remember like you, you that. and me doing a call where you were practicing some different versions of it to see how it sounded. Yeah, and it just, it just didn't sound. It sounded like very demonic, like almost like this can't yeah. be a human talking. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I stuck with it because now it, it's like very second nature, and it's not a huge change from my natural voice, but it's. Significant enough that I feel like when I listen back, like I'm never confused. Was that in game or not? Yep. Yeah, that's always so nice. And to the point of like of Uhtred being kind of the the quote unquote like main character of this of this AP. Like I was def I was definitely hoping that someone else would would fill that role this time around because after being Devoth for over two years, I it's tough being so great. It was, I just like I didn't want to be the main character anymore. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like totally De- get it. Devoth was a ton of fun. I loved playing Devoth, but like I was ready for something different. Yep. Yeah, I I feel like really only Uhtred is like quote unquote the main character because he's the only original left. See, I don't even think that's true. I think even from the beginning, full disclosure, from the beginning, I was trying to make Uhtred the main character <laughs> by making Rogyar like Uhtred's supporting character. <laughs> um, but even the whole way, like like we've we've kind of gone over this. Like Vipira was kind of always intended to be a temporary character for Tom, who lasted much longer than expected, and even Thalias, like. I feel like Thalias could have been the main character, but it was a combination of Joe playing him more as the supportive best friend and him just not sticking around long enough that it just, yeah. it had to be Uhtred. Yep. See, yeah. I, I think had Thalias not died, it would have 
been more like a much more like a democracy, right? Because you had Rogar who was feeling that like I had the wisdom and the age, right? Mm-hmm. And like Elias was feeling that like the moral compass. Yeah, yeah. And I and I thought that combination was going to be like a very synergized like leading force but we all know how that turned out yep yep, yep, yep. all right well if that's all for utrid why don't we move on to randolph randy i really like how uh book three thalias has uh become my sort of he's not just my uh spirit boy it's not like an unknown like what is this it's like a I know what this is. I have command over this, and like this stabilizes me. Yeah, like he goes, he goes in and out of being like a crazy man, but he's pretty stable now. You know, con- considering where he's been, and I attribute that to his relationship with Elias. I think it's important to acknowledge too that we give Axel a hard time for sometimes being too letter of the book, like what the rule says. That's how it is, and like I think this is a good example of where. The rule specifically says, like, you know, it, it it's not, like, somebody you knew, right? And they, it's not their soul. But, like, it, it worked so well, like, logically, thematically, in sense of, like, this specific AP, that rolling with that, despite the rule saying you can't do that, has paid, like, huge dividends. Yeah, it's been super fun. Alex is, uh... I mean, he, that's something he does really well, you know, is like, uh, Alex, what if this? And he's like, all right, that's not the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Maybe I could work with that. <laughs> and then actually making it work. I mean, it's a, just... a testament to you, too, though. Like, you're essentially yeah. <laughs> juggling two characters, right? Well, if I'm going to be bad at one character, I might as well be bad at two characters. Is my, you know. It's like uh, multiplying negatives, you get a positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Joe, why why can't you read a character sheet? I have two of them. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> you know what though? It 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 is like multiplying two negatives because the fact that you chose to play Randolph as like almost like schizophrenic or like borderline split personality disorder, like makes so much sense that he's you know, got another soul in him. Like Yeah. So like you're bad role playing is actually quite brilliant and works so perfectly for the concept of this character you're right yeah joe yeah, honestly there's been a lot of fun oh. uh antics and stuff sorry Tom, go ahead yeah no no, no. I, honestly joe the way how you play your characters like even like you create this absurd idea and then somehow manage to make it like oh man a shield hero that can, uh, you know, pop out four shields at once and somehow do crazy amounts of damage. Yeah, that seems like a good time. Like, you do, you do crazy things like that all the time, and I just love watching that. Like, I'm sorry, but um, who is the one who creates those characters? Uh, obviously, I do. <laughs> no help. <laughs> Not once have I been helped with any part of any of my characters. Listen, right. ever. The fighter pilot's Ever. the one that gets all the credit. You never hear about the mechanic. That's true. <laughs> yeah, the Red Baron's mechanic. He was the real hero. <laughs> the Grey Ridge. <laughs> the Grey Ridge. <laughs> well, now Joe's got his next character. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, not another secret brotherhood. 
You know what, Joe? So Randolph and Elias, it's like, we're here, we're together, this is how it is, let's make the best of it, and uh, they have been, you know? It's not like, uh, oh, like, I'm a maniac, and I've got this dude in my head, and I'm fighting with him. It's like, yep. yeah, it's like, this like, this is who I am. It's like, Joe, Joe's directing his own Avengers movie, where book two was them like all all the heroes like fighting and squabbling and trying to figure out where they fit in each other's dynamics and then book three That's has right. been like that that like final battle where they they come together and like oh teamwork oh oh, and, oh. <laughs> why yep. didn't i see it before <laughs> yeah because it's always in the harrow readings yeah. <laughs> yeah that was yeah. that was actually really interesting the harrow readings and uh their progression with uh randolph and Thelias. yeah they, they haven't changed so much uh you know well, what's that interesting one harrow reading spooked me big time I which one the words were exactly it was what? the one you had done who well oh, yeah which one evnir i think where it was like the one that Evnir did or the, the one Kishi Kish did oh where where like randolph was the tyrant, the tyrant. yeah yep you know what's really interesting is when Kishikish did his Harrow reading in book one, the card that Thalias drew was the Azer, uh, the Brass Dwarf, uh, and it represented you yourself remaining safe uh, in an otherwise inhospitable environment, or it all, or it could instead be interpreted to be you keeping everybody safe at your own expense which is currently largely the dynamic between randolph and thalias thalias can literally become armor around randolph right and i like um we had talked about how um there's i'm playing him thalias not really exactly how the book intends at all and how you've you know sort of helped me make it so that he's playable in the way that I want to play him, and I think it's fun. Uh, no, that he's sort I haven't. Of I haven't helped you at all. Remember? Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, besides you not helping me at all, it's fun <laughs> playing that off book kind of weird stuff. I don't know. It's just it's like a yeah. Uh, it's like creative freedoms or something, you know? Yeah, uh, Joe. I think definitely shines most when he is given uh, a, a an off center kind of character um feel that has he played anything that's not off center <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll never know here so uh, i guess here's what i mean uh everybody loves the masked helmet but i still think, my favorite character of all time <laughs> i think what everybody really loved and a helmet okay <laughs> but i think what everybody <laughs> really loved was joe the masked helmet was about as blank of a slate as you could get for a character like he had his motivations included whatever the hell he felt like in that moment well yeah it was part of the whole the brotherhood and it he had strict <laughs> instructions to do whatever the fuck he wanted uh and again joe being joe made that a very memorable and fun character but i think the character itself without joe's specific charm uh would have probably just felt like a very weird murder hobo 
<laughs> like well, a stupid guy with a mask and a hold helmet. Hold on. He, yeah, yeah, know. yeah. You got it. I don't uh, know. To be fair, he didn't live long enough for any development to happen. And so That's my true. argument is if he had made it to book six, he wouldn't have developed a single okay. goddamn <laughs> <Okay>. inch. <laughs> Never punish, learn so, something. <laughs> uh he would have continued to just be a weird murder hobo that happened to be played by the very lovable Joe. Yeah. Uh, but all of his characters since then have had a much more grounded uh, place in the world with like Joe has like this kind of Rosetta Stone of what his characters would want in certain situations. And he didn't really give the masked helmet any of that. But all of his characters. I gave after him that... the mask and the helmet, Alex. I don't. I can't explain this anymore. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't. I don't want to turn this into a. a I gave a... him everything. <laughs> my my point is, I think all of Joe's characters, in my opinion, after the masked helmet, have been amazing. And the masked helmet was really only lovable because it was Joe being a completely chaotic neutral. Uh, yeah, feel that crazy so, person. That. So what I'm hearing yep. is you hate the mass helmet because it yes. created the mass brotherhood. But every character <laughs> after that got better. I I hate the mass brotherhood so much. I, I will not deny that for a second. <laughs> I think I think like the happiest Alex has ever been as a GM was when I like was when I told him I was going to be like really incorporating the Mass Brotherhood into War for the Crown. So he was like, "All right, I wash my hands. It's your fucking problem now." <laughs> oh, 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 hold on. Let's let's get something straight here. The Mass Brotherhood. I'm not going to be making a character in Tyrant's Grass for that, but a more AP appropriate for them. You better. You're not done with them. <laughs> I don't think you're off the hook. What me? Yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Okay. I'm still waiting for uh, the Pathfinder Society or, or whoever's in charge of role playing to give me my um, award for most successful fantasy organization, <laughs> the Mass Brotherhood. Yeah, I just I hate secret societies like on principle, like in, in any form. Like it never, it always feels cliche and stupid. But what about like a secret it's society like... that everybody knows about? <laughs> You know, it didn't help. It's it's uh, the Illuminati. You know, <laughs> everyone knows about them, but they're still successful. Yeah, um, yeah. No, so I, I was so when yeah when Joe we're we're totally off book at this point, but when Joe oh, yeah. made the masked shield, uh, I I asked if he could uh, maybe try to challenge himself uh, with a more dynamic character than uh, what he had come out with the masked helmet. Uh, and he did. And he created the masked brotherhood and like made this whole, like tied his new character into it. And I was just like, it's what it, it's what Joe did, what I asked him to do. And I have to encourage and reward that. So now the masked brotherhood exists. It's stupid, but I can work with this. <laughs> Like I'm just so th- this. It's stupid. I, I'm, it's I'm not now a helmet and a mask. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally one step beyond. But yeah, so th- this is this is my official uh, ad- admission of the only reason I didn't say fuck no 
to the mass brotherhood was because i i wanted i i i wanted to foster that creative uh liberty in joe and uh so now the mass brotherhood just officially exists and we've structured our entire uh brand off of it and our <laughs> patreon tiers and <laughs> my life is a lie D- okay so i'm sorry we we got way off track uh talking about randolph and then we went down the rabbit hole did uh do we have any other oh, yeah. thoughts on randolph no i'm excited to see what comes next for randolph and thalias um but yeah, I'm excited. Like good backstory into animals. everything. It went a little far, but yeah, I mean, crazy it, man plays crazy characters. It, it Randolph and Thalias is certainly like the most, uh, like long term off book as far as like incorporating something that's not really. It's not uh, really a thing. But you make yeah, it well, I, I'm not really sure how I want to phrase it, and I think it's like not making any sense as I form the thought in my head. But perfect. Yeah. So like the spirit, the spiritualist has like its phantom and like you as the player are allowed to kind of say like, oh, this phantom is my uh, grandmother or, you know, whatever. Uh, Or it could be, you know, somebody else who has, you know, uh, recently died and they have actual uh, stakes in the world. And uh, so it's yeah, it's basically a blank check for like RP purposes. Uh, But it's it's definitely the most. the most off-center, I guess, is what I was originally getting at of all of Joe's characters, because it's literally both of his Tyrant's Grass <laughs> characters. Uh, he's just collecting them as he goes. Uh, all right, uh, who do we want to do next? Uh, sh- well, he's officially out of the campaign, or for now. Um, do we want to do uh, Rogiar? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of brought up that uh, in, in so much as we feel like Utrid has kind of become the main character of this campaign. That was, I kind of admit, that was kind of my intention from the beginning. Like, I played Devoth for a long time, and I loved playing Devoth. But coming into this, I did not want to be the like the main character. I didn't want to be the focus of this campaign. Yeah. So, like, I intentionally made this made Rogiar to be like, like the uh, you know, like the the father figure. Like, I think it's kind of out by now. Like the idea of the relationship between Rogiar and Uhtred coming in was supposed to be akin to um, Zuko and Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, that kind of got like thrown out the got thrown out the window pretty quickly to some degree just by the conditions with which the campaign starts. But I think we did settle into a bit of that that friendship father e figure role as we went but rogiar's main motivation was always to to get back to his family and or the very least to do what to do the best he could to protect them and yeah by the time we got to the end of this book he just couldn't justify being away from them any any longer like it just everything felt so dreadful that he just he couldn't go on fighting this this seemingly hopeless fight yeah so you you made uncle iroh but uncle iroh who still had a son and needed to say <laughs> sorry zuko but uh i gotta son go. trump's uh <laughs> nephew yeah yeah I, uh, to a degree yeah i i really liked rogyar and his his three book arc um 
yeah, it, it while Rogiar did eventually kind of have uh, his opportunity to, you know, be that Uncle Iroh kind of character, it, it, yeah, definitely was not the case right off the bat just because of the freaky situation that you guys find yourselves in. Like, like while Rogiar has the capacity to be, you know, uh, like Confucius says kind of guy, uh, you wisely, in my opinion, uh, gave him enough like character flaws to not just be like, like, ah, all this crazy stuff that's happening. That's okay. My character, uh, is so wise that it doesn't bother him. In fact, here's a proverb for you. Yeah. Uh, like I definitely had before this campaign started, I, I looked up just a whole big ass list of proverbs that I would like try to, to work into things. And it just never really worked. I had like, I got a few in there, like the, uh, the, the written in stone, written in sand one that worked out really well. But, there were so many of them that I thought would be usable that just never really made sense in any context. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that was definitely the thing I tried to play up a lot with with Rogiar as we were going along was his PTSD, especially with his kind of like, not quite claustrophobia, but like his fear of the underground. And especially just like, as we go on, there's more and more dangerous traumatic things going on in these underground scenarios and Roger is just getting more and more traumatized as we go one of my favorite things that you did with Rogiar was uh kind of show in real time him getting a better grip on his powers like you matt knew for the most part i assume uh <laughs> what his general level up path progression was going to look like uh and you use that to your advantage and like as rogyar was gaining experience points and getting closer and closer to that next level you kind of uh were proactive in knowing like the next big like air ability he'd get and you would show him kind of like practicing that and kind of like teasing and hinting at like the next thing he was suddenly going to be like aha i finally got it yeah, that was super cool. The like the power scale of Rogyar. Like when he started, I wouldn't say that he was powerful, and then there was a ton of RP of him mastering his craft and getting powerful and then using his power. That was super cool. That was su- really well played. Rogyar was overpowered I think by level 3. Yeah. <laughs> well, compared to everybody else. <laughs> no. No. Compared to me. <laughs> No, I, no, I'm not even saying that. Like, oh, not not against me. I just, I, I think you put that compared to the up system. And, yeah, to to a lot <laughs> of characters, and you're like, well, that guy's probably got me. Yeah, nothing with <clears throat> with Rogar. I think it was more. I think it was level, probably level five or six when I think he really started get feeling overpowered when he could start empowering. His oh, fucking yeah. shit, Jesus Christ! Yeah, the empower was was the the big game changer. <clears throat> um, I, I have a funny little anecdote actually. Um, so, uh, Cam, another friend of the podcast, is uh, I, I asked if he would mind creating an NPC slash like enemy for me to use in later in the campaign. 
Um, and we were kind of like bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, and I remember one of his things, like he's like trying to like, what about this strategy? What about that strategy? Like how, like, how could I make this work? How would the rules, uh, interact with, with this ability, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how he can survive one round against Rogyar. (laughs) 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 And eventually, so at at that point, like I knew like that Rogyar was leaving. I was like, well, I'll, I'm not going to give anything away. I'll just say like, don't, don't worry about Rogyar. Like you, you don't need to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he should have been worried about one round against Randolph. Yeah. Well, (laughs) The real Rand- terror. Randolph is has certainly become uh, his own powerhouse. I'd say, yeah. like just in the number, the number of attacks that he has. Uh, like, honestly, eh, Joe, you're probably more impactful in a single round of combat than anyone now because you have so much action economy. Yeah, you got yeah, the elk out. You have the Lias out. Randolph also has his stuff. Like, yep, yeah, action economy is king in Pathfinder. <laughs> Okay, do we want to talk about Vipira? I feel like we've talked about Vipira a fair amount already and kind of highlighted what I think we we would be highlighting at this point, which is how Vipira was just Tom's kind of suicide pact PC. <laughs> Vipira was interesting. I think Tom Tom has like a it seems like there's only one facet sometimes, but then there turns out is like What's going on? I so, have no idea. In the, in the same way that Joe is just kind of like a, a treasure and, and we all love him, uh, Tom, uh, in his natural state, is <laughs> uh, maybe I'm... Uh, he's, he's the embodiment maybe of chaos. I'm, maybe I'm on my own here, but he's uh, a little abrasive. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure if that's the best word for it, but like that chaotic abrasive energy yeah where he, it's like you don't it, it, it's like uh it's not abrasive it's like potentially there's a problem just by nature of the chaos you know it's like here comes the chaos tornado i hope nothing gets displaced <laughs> uh so it's not a bad tornado but it is a tornado yeah <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna mix it up and you're gonna be entertained it's very much uh you know i'm gonna do the thing uh I hope you're prepared for the fallout. You're right. Everybody hold on. Yeah. Um, there we go. So then Tom went ahead and made a, a really pissed off version of himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, God, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit here and defend that, you know, Vipira, okay. Vipira has absolutely has stopped the most amount of fights. But you know what? That's the, started. That's the final thing I'll say. You get to, you get to, you get to just sit there and defend how you got to kill off Yando. I get to sit here and defend how Vipira wasn't. Where's the my salt shaker? Where's my thought. salt shaker? <laughs> it's. I mean, look. I, it's. I, I. I say all this with love because you know, for for all of the. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it for all the. Love. Yeah, I know. I know, and you feel it in that. Uh, very uh, that very relaxing Tom way that you feel it, uh, but no, for all the headbutting that that Vipira did with other members of the party and other NPCs, uh, I Tom Tom made I think one of our most memorable characters in Vipira. Definitely memorable for sure. 
Yeah, uh, I, I've long stood by the stance that I really appreciate what Viper brought in the game context to this. Like, you know, it's kind of always that unwritten rule, like, the group members meet up and like, yeah, we're going to get along, we have this common goal, and we'll all pull the rope the same direction, right? Like, it just felt so real that with the stakes and the level of trauma and shit that we went through that, like, not everyone's going to ha- feel the same way and think this is the best way to go about it. Like, so it oh, yeah. lended itself oh, to yeah. a very real nature. Like, you know, you know what Vipera was? Vipera was our, uh, for any Animorphs fans listening, Vipera was our Cassie. <laughs> Uh, yeah. because all three of we, the Animorph fans out there <laughs> seriously everybody hey two of okay, them but, are in but, this podcast thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing so like they they'd be like all right guys like here's here's the threat here's the situation we need a plan everyone's like all right i got a plan everyone's like okay that's a good plan what if we did this too yeah that's good that's a good idea and then fucking cassie would just show up and be like i have something to say and then all of the characters in the book and the reader of the book would be like, oh, <laughs> and, and yet Cassie was still a very uh, liked and dynamic character and helped define the series for what it was for the better. And that is exactly what Vipera was in our campaign. Well said. Except for the Animorphs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a terrible <laughs> way to try and make an analogy. It's okay, Alex. Wow, I, I got you on that one. I even read <laughs> Animorphs and didn't understand the Cassie reference. I didn't read uh, all of them, but... Yeah, well, obviously you just weren't a big enough fan. <laughs> Cassie was just that memorable. <laughs> it's well-beloved. <laughs> no, no, no. She's not well-beloved, that's the point. But she was still, like, unnecessary and integral, like part of the group that made it what it yeah. was like you know what let's just like let's 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 stop here and i think we need to go into a deep dive in why cassie was that kind of character <laughs> in animorphs oh absolutely Alex, take a cassie point <laughs> thanks i don't want it actually <laughs> um so let's uh talk about so let's see we did we did utra we did rogar we did randolph vipera let's talk about our genus that yeah, uh that wild man that well-rounded gentleman <laughs> i am so stoked for uh for genus's development because i have no idea where i'm taking this what whatsoever i have you the backstory say. but i have no idea where his development's gonna lead him oh backstory so come on tom you gotta go in with less than that <laughs> that's way more uh, than a mask uh, and a helmet over <laughs> oh, all right guys over under is there a significant mother in that backstory? Tom knows the answer, and I know the, the answer. Mother, the mother dropped him on his head first things first. <laughs> was the, the very first thing that happened in his life was a tragedy with the mother. I got a better I think, one for you. I think it's a significant father in this one. Ooh. That would be a nice twist. I don't think there's going to be what any parent thing going on. Our genus was just birthed into the world. <laughs> As a as a full grown psychopath, but I'm also going to go out limb and say I think this is going to be Tom's greatest character, his crowning achievement. Oh God, I'm kind of uh, hoping the same thing there, Nick. I I I, I, uh, I 
not giving any spoilers, but like, because we do have the buffer and we're a little ahead. And from his first introduction to where we left off last on recording, um, I, I think he's got a good shot at being your best character ever. Wow. In, I like in my how wow. Randolph and Thalias uh, were crazy. And then, like, leveled off and found a balance. And now yeah. our genius comes in off the fucking <laughs> turnbuckle baby. Yeah. Absolute elbow out, ready to just turn this group on its uh, head with the, the psychosis. So awesome. Because for me, it's like, there's a new psycho in town, and he's a bad man. Like, he, he really goes for it. And then, like, now I'm reflecting, you know, Randolph and Thalias, like, like they get to experience what everyone else experienced when they came on, so it's it's just it's such a cool, uh, I don't know, like dynamic continuation. I know, it's just become it's just become tradition at this point. Your new character is absolutely insane. I mean, going through what they go through to get back to the material plane is understandable. Yeah, and the cool thing is, from Tom's perspective, you got Vipera was like a maverick, and now you got like. A Mavericks Maverick. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm excited. Our genius is super cool. Yeah, I'm super stoked for it. Okay. I'm let's... excited to see the hero ability in like that whole thing. I don't well, I really Yeah, I don't know. I don't you... understand it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught it, but um I did do a full hero reading. I don't know if you yeah, guys uh, listened to it. Listen back on the episodes there, but I actually did do a full uh hero Yeah, reading. I listened to it. Yeah, you did you you did a good job with it. I'm happy. So <laughs> that's another thing. Like Tom, Tom has this uh this uh he he really likes making interesting characters, which is, you know, great. Uh a, a lot of times interesting and complicated are kind of siblings, cousins. Uh and We've done a couple Harrow readings up until this point with Kishikish and with uh, Evni, and that's a mechanical like build that you can make in Pathfinder. There's a prestige class called a Harrower. There's a spell and a feat that go into that as well. There's a um, full book that you won't allow me to use. Yeah, oh, yeah, a little bit. Oh. Yeah, that's funny. No, oh, um, yeah, so funny. <laughs> Wait, is it a, is it a legal source? No, No. it's not. It's literally called the Harrower's Handbook. And I'm pretty certain you have used uh, an ability outside of it. Um, Okay, so I think that was all the characters. I'm certainly excited to see where book four takes uh, everybody. Because uh, it's going to be something. As I I said, uh, I don't think I, I said it like as part of recording or anything, but... Uh, so book three was I, I definitely went on record. I think in the book two retrospective uh, was the one I was looking forward to the most, and probably eighty percent of that anticipation was from that last third of mm-hmm. getting out of the city after it got blown up because there was just so much narrative oomph to it. The rest of book three was still fine. It was good. Uh, it was a fun. Uh, mystery investigation, a fun dungeon crawl under the city. Um, but yeah, most most of that was just that last third. Uh, in terms of like the entire book having uh, like really cool set pieces and developments 
and just all that stuff uh page for page book four is my favorite book of this ap so i'm really looking forward to uh to getting into that and really sinking our teeth into it there's a lot to look forward to but yeah let's get back into some listener questions uh fulgrim from discord uh, asks uh, since a since a second player has made the mistake of trying to retire a character without killing them, have you decided on Rogiar's stupid new voice when he returns? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, shit. This, of God, course, shit. being a reference to uh, everybody's favorite retired NPC from Skull and Shackles, oh. Lemon. Oh. <laughs> um, which Yo. was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back, guys. Yuck. I <laughs> yuck. Yuck. Uh, I I can't really do, do a it. good goofy. I think do I would it. just make the most ge- the most generic and offensive Scottish accent I possibly could. Yeah, we're waiting. Oh, that'd be fun. Let's hear. Um. Okay. Uh. It'd be like, oh, Utrid. So good to see you again. Come on over. Sit on older Ogiar's lap and have some. <laughs> Oh my come God. have come have some uh oh, fucking what do they what do they like say, to eat say, haggis say, uh, say haggis haggis about his- I got some haggis stew going <laughs> but but now you gotta do say something like in a, in a sad voice about his dead son <laughs> Jesus <laughs> oh, I'm so sad that I lost my son thanks for bringing it up you jackass. Well, I think that's officially now the new Rogar voice. <laughs> God damn well it. Right. Uh, I, what I really care about is uh, what does Matt think of that? Cause, I uh, want to bring Rogar back so you can't do that to him. Perfect. <laughs> I've got a winner. <laughs> you did this to yourself, Matt. <laughs> I'll I see knew you what in I book was getting four. into. I decided I don't care about my family that much. <laughs> um, okay. You hear that sound? That's the sound of Matt's soul dying a little bit. <laughs> let that be a lesson to you. If you want your character out of the story, just let them die. I tried, no, but I, you couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, you fuck you. Do it. Uh, no, so. <laughs> It, it's it's funny because with lemon it was it never i never meant for it to be an on writing joke it was supposed to just be a one-off thing like andrew andrew couldn't make it i think he had like car problems or something and this was before we uh i think this was before we started using roll 20 so if you weren't if ev- if everybody wasn't at matt's house then you know you you weren't part of the session and we we tried to just kind of like if not everybody could make it, then we just wouldn't we wouldn't have the session. But I, I don't know. Yeah, that was we how had... we started Sweet Side Action. Was that was what we would do if not everyone could make it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I don't. I think maybe Andrew is just like it's fine, guys. Just like game without me or something, and like I'll be back next week. Uh, so I just needed Andrew's. I just needed Lemon to just kind of like because he, you guys were about to start a combat, so Lemon was there, and Matt uh, tactfully gave me an out where he gave lemon the gargolabo egg oh god this is when <laughs> that was when we uh, first got the egg uh he said get take this egg and take it back to the ship 
And I was just like, all right, perfect. Uh, and I just did a Mickey Mouse voice, like, ha ha, aye aye, Captain. Uh, <laughs> and that was all it was ever supposed to be. Uh, and then Andrew, like a fool, uh, went and retired Lemon uh, at the end of book two. And I just kind of had that voice like on deck, I guess. And he was just, and it was because it was because it was Skull and Shackles. So like he was still on the crew. He was still around and Matt, right. Matt made him first mate. So it's not <laughs> like he was just going to like fade away into obscurity. <laughs> he, he made him bringing ar- him to prominence. Yeah. He made him arguably the second most important person on the ship. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I, in all seriousness, I very much doubt we will ever uh, hear from Rogiar again. Uh, what? But if we do, uh, we've got some fun in store for us. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, let's move on. And uh, let's just go as macro as possible. And I want to hear everybody's thoughts on book three in general. Uh, your initial or lasting impressions, the, the story, the characters, the pacing. Uh, how does it stand up to uh, books one and or two? Just your just your general thoughts on on book three. As I have a pretty strong opinion on one facet of it. Sure. Where so we get to like we get to vigil and we're with people again, and then in the end we're still with people, but there's like everything is so much worse. You know, it's like. Roslar's uh coffer there being yeah. the test bed. Now it's just like it's ramping up in craziness and we're in, we don't have it felt safe in vigil. It felt like we had, you know, sort of come out of the dead roads, out of Roslar's coffer, out of the craziness into like more normal life. And now it's like it's anything but normal again. It was like right back where we started, possibly worse tons of people dead you know the threat is growing things are more serious like it's just been a absolute roller coaster the whole yeah. like, book three i remember when we did our book one recap uh and i asked everybody uh, what their favorite combat was and nick said his favorite combat was when you guys woke up in that barn outside of roslar's tomb and you uh just after leveling up to level two and you had that uh, like life and death combat against that Kaicheric. Yeah, yeah wasn't nothing like a CR four that you threw yeah. at us like immediately. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, and I remember <laughs> <laughs> the reason why Nick said that was his favorite combat was because they were like, "Oh, we made it out of this dangerous tomb. We can rest now. It's okay." But right. the Kaicheric for may- maybe uh, not the smartest. Uh, off book decision I've made uh, throwing that at you guys uh, still kind of helped to establish that status quo of no you are never safe uh, yep. and to, to Joe's point I think book three what it, it was an entire book of that Kaicheric fight yes yeah yep. it was an entire book establishing that nowhere in this nowhere in the inner sea is safe anymore yeah Vigil was supposed to be the one, the the single safest place, the most well-equipped bastion specifically against the Whispering Tyrant. Yep. And it's gone. Any other thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Um, as much as we had a massively antagonistic relationship with Sito, I really enjoyed that character. Like, it was nice having an NPC for to act as a sort of unifying outside factor for the party. Like, yeah. we, we had the trials and tribulations, but we never had, like, a pure target of it to tie us together. And I think Sito kind of acted in that role for most of book three. I thought that was nice. It was, it was just great getting some social aspect to it, even though, like, I know that's not the main point of this AP. This is, this is very much, you know, the high adventure dungeon crawl and, and all that. But it was nice kind of taking a step back from that and just being in a city, being in that social scenario to just take a breath only to have everything just completely fall to shit again. Yeah. yeah. That was like a much needed breath, too. It yeah. wasn't like just, oh, it's nice. It's like, you don't know what we've been through. <laughs> we need for, this. For sure. I agree with that, Matt. I One thing that... I'm always going to wonder, though, is how that part of the adventure would have changed if Thalias made it to Vigil, like, as Thalias. Yes, because Thalias and Sito had a, a pre-existing antagonistic relationship. <laughs> yeah. Viper may, may never had a chance to get into Sito's grill. <laughs> <laughs> Stand down, Viper. <laughs> this is my fight. <laughs> And I, I I also liked how she kind of uh served as a sort of uh red herring, uh, because like she was being so uncooperative, so unhelpful that it was starting to I think feel like maybe she was doing it on purpose. She was so incompetent, it started to feel intentionally like she was intentionally barricading us from proceeding. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for as kind of straightforward and basic, I wound up making her as a, an NPC. I think it, it still kind of, it still had its, uh, merits due to that. Uh, how about the, uh, how about the horror factor is book three, like had like, you know, like the zombie apocalypse at the end, but book three felt largely, uh, devoid of the horror side of survival horror, at least when you compare it to books one and two. Yeah, it, it replaced the the horror sensation with PTSD sensation. Yeah, book three <laughs> was more of a psychological horror yeah. compared Here, to yeah. Here's yeah. all that horror you just lived through. Deal with it again. It became a survival dread campaign. <laughs> yes, especially the mindscape. Oh my god. Yeah, like. I honestly think the mindscape almost as much as seeing Vigil destroyed is what broke Rogar. It was Yeah, we all had fun in there. <laughs> it was <laughs> that brutal. I was I was kind of worried that the mindscape was going to kind of fall flat cuz I I knew I wanted to do it, but I kind of put it off for a while because it was such a weird intangible thing. That I kind of was having trouble figuring out, like, what to do with it. Because there's literally no wrong answer. Like, there, you could you could do literally whatever you want. Like, that's what the, the that's what a, a mindscape is. It is, like, just literally, it is infinite in size and potential. 
which is why it is the it is it's it's not written down anywhere, but it's the one unwritten banned spell from a legal source, uh, actually. And I, I don't think I've ever voiced that out loud, but uh, because you can literally make it infinite in size and you as the caster would designate how the target gets out of the mindscape. Uh, and so you could be like, all right, the mindscape is a million miles long highway or a uh, hallway and you get out of it by reaching the door at the far end. Like, and meanwhile, time passes normally for your unconscious body and there's no saving throw to resist going into it. The saving throw is to know how to get out of it. Anyway. Yeah. That's why. So I was like, ah, I don't like, I don't know what, like, I, I kind of know what I want to do with it. And so, and at one point I was looking at like, uh, in, including like combats, like I was going to have like animate dreams in there, uh, every once in a while, but yeah, I will say, I like that there was no combat in, yeah. in the mindscape because we were expecting combat the whole time. So like, at, like, yeah, at least in the beginning, every room we're going into, we're like slowly opening the door, we're creeping our way through, expecting something to jump out at us. And then, like, it slowly dawned on us that, okay, this is just a construct of our head. There's no physical danger here. We just need to get through it. And yeah, I liked and that slow realization. I thought it played really well. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was getting at. Like, I, I think when it came down to it with the Mindscape, like, I put the map together. I made, like, the very loose rules on progressing with, like, the keys and stuff that tied into the whole, like, the, the, the thing about keys and locks that uh was written in uh Yosijuin's journal um but like beyond that it was like it was just it was just a character moment and i i think that wound up uh being the best way to do that instead of turning it into like a, like a a skill or combat based adventure uh so yeah i i really like that and yeah that that would definitely uh fall into the horror uh the horror side of things let's do our last couple uh, listener questions. J Train One, also from Discord, asks: Now that you have had two books and two PC deaths, uh, do you expect the trend to continue? Is everyone just going to be playing classes of occult adventures in the end? <laughs> uh, I mean, we have uh, Rogue Yar was uh, you know a kineticist, and we have Randolph, who is a spiritualist. The occult classes are among my favorite in the game, so I would personally love it if everybody played occult classes, but I don't think, uh, I personally don't think uh, that's where we're trending towards. Um, I I definitely do expect the there to be more PC deaths. I, I, I very highly doubt Vipera was the last one. Yeah, no way. There's, what is it, three more books? Yeah. Zero percent. Yeah, um... To to that point, though, the fact that there have only been two PC deaths after three books, uh, I'm super impressed with you guys. Yeah. Um, that a lot, like, very much of that has been your, uh, your tactics uh, during and before combat and your, the, the characters that you've built. Uh, and I'll just throw a... Uh, a special shout out to to Uhtred because Nick, uh, when when in book one and for probably the first half of book two, Uhtred was like definitely lagging behind the rest of the group in terms of combat effectiveness. But that was because he had this 
build that he was building up to and he just kind of like he hit that special point that that magical level where it just kind of all came together and now Uhtred is honestly one of the most uh dangerous PCs in my opinion uh cuz Nick Nick has done a a very good job of mapping out his uh his level up progression yeah but, he uh he definitely had to hit his power spike i i just usually don't have characters live long enough to go from <laughs> one to the like man he didn't quite get there and then by the time Ivan came in, like the concept was fully developed already, right? I had like the yeah, like like before. Ivan had already spiked by the time he came in. Yeah, it's funny too because when I built Uhtred, like the the first concept I had is I hate fucking swinging and missing, and I hate not being able to have like spells, but I don't want to only have spells. And I feel like he's come to uh, he's so well rounded, like. He's got spells, he's got melee combat. Yeah. And uh and Randolph, uh built entirely by Joe, uh is uh, also nah. a huge threat in combat and also uh very uh a very much needed uh support character in terms of healing and like getting rid of very bad debuffs. Uh spiritualists have the best spell list in the game. Uh, I will fight anybody who says otherwise. Yeah, it feels like every time yeah, we're the best. Randolph casts a spell; it's uh, s- super impactful. Yeah, I think that we were, we will definitely uh, we are, we have definitely not seen the last PC death. Uh, would anybody care to take a guess at who they think the next character death will be? Me. <laughs> wow. Uh, call it a hunch. You, you didn't need to 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 reach very very deep for that. Uh, very confident answer. Yep. Um, honestly, I'm a confident man. Like I, I gotta say, I am extremely excited to play my new character. And of the couple episodes that we have recorded, I am having a freaking blast with him. I yeah. think so he's gonna he die, die quick. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's my here's what I'm thinking. Uh. Contrary to all the accolades I just gave Nick, um, so you're lying. He's right. okay. Oh no, 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 no! You've done a phenomenal job building Utrid. Your one weakness is the one thing that you can't objectively plan around: hit points. Yeah, it's true. Utrid uh, has <laughs> erected all of these defenses uh, to compensate for his. <laughs> abysmal hit point pool his ac is through the roof he's got mirror images he's got concealment visibility it's uh flight hold on though it's gonna turn around like the next four level ups are gonna be like 10 10 10 9 well i'll call you a cheater because you roll d8s for your level ups (laughs) well plus two constitution baby 10 10 10, 9 okay um but i i and i hope that I hope we we have that turnaround. But in the meantime, uh, there are dangers out there that inflict hit point damage that do not care about AC and concealment. I know. I got to get spell resist going. I've already thought about this. (laughs) I've looked into what gives you DR and your options are like piss. Yeah. Yeah. Play a barbarian is pretty much your option. Yeah. But spell resist is. But that's. uh, Yeah. That's why I took it. Yeah. You gotta. Do you have that? Uh, 
There's a material component for that, though. Yeah, it's diamond I dust. What it is. I have enough for one. I don't think it's diamond dust. I think it's. It is. No, it's diamond it's dust. It's diamond dust. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Audience is saying diamond dust. Ah, hit points. My one weakness. <laughs> my life juice. Uh, so, yeah, I I think that Uhtred, especially since, you know, he just had all that wonderful character development from book three. He's a godfather. Uh, it just feels right. So that was the last listener question. Hooray! Uh, Hooray for listeners! <laughs> now, normally, uh, uh, the last part of this retrospective would be your expectations for book four um but we've already done a few sessions into book four and those sessions have included a fairly well illustrated roadmap of what book four is going to entail and also includes very heavy spoilers uh to try to even dance around the fact that you know that um so i think in Instead of that, I just wanted to discuss survival horror in general. How have you guys been enjoying the survival horror genre uh, or not enjoying it? How does it compare to in playing it in a tabletop role-playing game versus playing it in like a video game or watching it in a movie? It's more fun than I thought I would have. I don't know why I was just uh, never been like a super horror guy. And then you kind of spooked me with your like very first episode, like "All right, welcome to hell" type deal. <laughs> yeah, like oh jeez, I don't know about this. <clears throat> but I think the story's been really great, like the flow and the just everything about it has been it's exceeded expectations. About that, okay, because it hasn't just been survival horror, but there has been you know that horror, and it's not. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely more interesting than I thought it would be. Yeah, and I gotta say it's it has been fun my only i think gripe with it would be that uh it's it's tough playing your way through a story where your job isn't to win it's just to live (laughs) yeah it's a game of how little can you lose by yeah exactly and like it has been a lot of fun to play like the the role-playing stuff that we've had going on has been fantastic it's been a lot of fun it's just it is a mentally draining exercise to that is 100 con- true yeah just to constantly be thinking we're going forward and having everything we do feel futile yeah i i'm personally a, a very big fan of survival horror uh i really love like the resident evil video games uh and so like it's just a, a little anecdote um my my wife really loves watching me play the Resident Evil games uh she likes to have like a walkthrough open on her phone so she knows when the monsters are going to come so it doesn't scare her uh and so she can kind of feel like you know she's like driving the bus so to speak like all right Alex when you go into this room there's going to be two zombies coming out of the left hand door uh that's freaking adorable yeah, uh, it, she, uh, and, do that for the safety. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, sounds she, like you don't actually like survival horror. If that's how you're playing. N- no, I so, <laughs> I and and you know it's it's like 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 Joe said it's 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 adorable and you know it's good 
you know, just time, it's quality time spent together. My personal preference is to, you know, not know that the monsters are about to come through the door and, you know, deal with it in the way that the game uh, wants you to. Um, but my, my point is uh, in just kind of uh, arriving at the same uh, same point that, that Matt said in far fewer words, uh, there there would be times where she'd be like, like we put the kids to bed, she'd be like, "You want to play Resident Evil?" And I'd be like, oh, "I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm so drained. Like it was a long day at work, and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. I don't think I have the, I don't think I have the mental fortitude right now to play Resident Evil, uh, because it's, it is, it exhausting. It's a taxing genre. Uh, it's, it's not something that you experience to get jacked up. It's, it's something that." It's something that you go through to like, like obviously, like the thrill in the moment is you know very you know stimulating. It gets your adrenaline going, uh, but just after the fact, like when when you've finished, like you just look back and you're just like, holy shit! Like I just uh, I I need to just like be somewhere quiet right now and like just just exist. Um, but I will say that being the the GM for a survival horror campaign uh, has been a lot of fun. Now, obviously, we have our Yeah, you're getting to do what Michelle does. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, you're 100% right. Uh, Michelle's, just, Michelle's just GMing your Resident Evil playthroughs. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, she is. I gotta, t- I gotta tell her you said that. Um, so... I, so obviously, like we have our constant, like ah ha ha, like it's it's me versus you guys. I love it when you lose and when you die, but like, like in all seriousness, like I feel it just as much when, like, I felt it just as much when Thalias died. I felt it just as much when Vipera died as you guys did. Um, when when shit's just like really against the wall, uh, it's it it's it's stressful. Uh, and, and I, yeah. I don't get a special pleasure out of it. Like I, I guess like in, as in a certain light, like I, I recognize that it's making for a very memorable experience and really good content for the podcast. And like, that is satisfying, but like just in the moment, the emotional, uh, like the, the emotional, uh, like conclusion is this is stressful and I don't like it. Um, but uh i guess the like the planning part the prep part for the survival horror has been like a lot of fun um like particularly with the uh like the population count for vigil i always i always really like to like analyze the horror genre and like figure out like well that that was pretty scary but like why was that scary or that that fell flat but like why did that fall flat, but this other thing felt really scary? And, like, I've always really enjoyed, like, analyzing and breaking down horror as a genre and what worked and what didn't and why. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to kind of, I, I guess I've been, like, kind of, like, training myself and, like, learning how to be a horror storyteller without really in, intending to. And not to toot my own horn, but I think I'm doing a pretty good job of it um to the baby yeah beep beep uh but yeah so like with the the, i think the population counter is like the 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 best and most prevalent uh example uh here and now of me kind of taking 
something that wasn't really part of the book as a survival horror element and turning it into one of the most, uh, at least for me personally, one of the most memorable uh, elements of an adventure. And it's, it's, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all these different elements and going, that would be absolutely terrifying from the perspective of the players yeah. and utilizing it yeah. and watching it, watching it pay off and unfold. I was just going to say for me, um, I'm not really a fan of like the survival theme. Like, like I don't really like that restriction of like, you know, you can't buy things whenever you want and like build a strategy and make it happen. Cause you're so limited on resources. Yeah, I will say that has been probably my biggest frustration with this campaign has been like not being able to outfit the characters as we see fit. We're just scrounging. And and I, I do think you've done a good job of putting certain items in certain places for specific characters. Um, but it, it, it's just for me personally, like if these are the rules to the game, like I want to strategize and make my strategy happen. That being said, though, I've definitely really enjoyed this this campaign. I actually think book three could be a book when, you know, years from now we look back and however many APs we do on like a podcast format. I think this book could be up there as one of the single best books. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the first two books were so... It was just the players, right? Like, and everything that happened outside of combat resolving was just the four of us. And, like, you get starved of that role-playing interaction a little bit for twofold books. And then book three was just like, here, you can drink all the role-playing you want. And I think just everyone's character had so many singular moments of like damn that just was so impactful and invoked a feeling in some way yeah uh and i i remember uh getting into it uh with you for character creation uh and kind of not really seeing eye to eye with like utrid sword and and I'm like, dude, it's survival horror. It's, you know, it's it's going to be fun. Trust me. And you were like, I fucking don't like survival horror. So, like, work with me here. Uh, so, but I, I appreciate that you've you've come to, uh, you've come to appreciate it, you know, even as, as much as you do now. And that you haven't just come to resent this campaign for, you know, being so restrictive. Uh, and I, I, I think... I have kind of let up a little bit with that, like at least with like carrying capacity. Like once you guys got that bag of holding, I kind of just fully gave up keeping track of everybody's carrying capacities. I think uh, some of that too is the fact that like it's been restrictive. Like we've essentially had like one real opportunity to buy shit, like go to a market, buy whatever we want. But yeah, it's like, it's made a lot of sense why we've only had that one opportunity. Like there was always something either like you're on another plane. I can't walk through the fire cloud 
or when we got to Vigil, there was just always something like on a time constraint, like, yeah, I want to go shopping, but like, I really need to go like do this thing first, then I'll shop. And then you finish yeah. it and you're like, but oh, I really have to do this thing now. Yeah. And I mean, that's as, as, as a, as a player, like, you know, somebody playing like Resident Evil, that's uh, one of the things I really love about survival horror. And it's also one of the most stressful things about it is like in Resident Evil, at least, I don't know about all the games. I'm sure they, you know, go a little easier on it in one one version or another. But with, like, Resident Evil 2 and uh, 2 and 7, uh, those are, like, my like two of my favorites, especially, like, the remake of 2 that they made. Uh, you're given a very limited inventory space, which, you know, in Pathfinder would, you know, the equivalent would be your carrying capacity. There's only so much you can carry around with you. And as you progress through the game, you get like, you know, oh, I found a little fanny pack. I can, you know, carry around a little bit of extra ammo or an extra healing item. Uh, And you kind of get slowly get a bigger inventory capacity. Uh, But even, even if you scrounge through every single map and you get every single fanny pack by the end of the game, uh, it's still kind of, crazy how little uh how little extra space you have like by the time you get to the like the final part of the game because like as and as you've been going through the game you're getting other items that themselves are extremely useful and long-term items that you carry around with you like i need the shotgun and i need the flamethrower and i need this pistol and i also need these remote bombs uh, when I first started, I only had six inventory slots. It was okay because I just had a pistol and some ammo and some healing items. The shotgun and the flamethrower take up a fuck ton of space, and I need ammo for all those things too. Uh, and it's it it just becomes this like humongous uh, inventory management like mini game every single time you get a chance to uh, like go through your stuff like what do I want to leave here what do I want to bring with me and a lot of times you have to make like a really tough call like I have the space to bring this extra healing thing with me but then if I find something while I'm out there I won't be able to pick it up uh so should I you know leave this behind uh so and and obviously that's not for everybody I was like gonna say cuz it makes so much sense that you would love this because you <laughs> love the things in games that everyone else is like, oh my god, I hate this. It's such a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, everybody hates Resident Evil. It's such an unpopular game. Well, system. no, but uh, I no, mean... No, people like Resident Evil, but most people <laughs> hate the, that a, inventory management. Yeah, bullshit. you made a mini okay, game okay. at Look, inventory like, management. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Nobody opens fair. up their inventory no, and goes, I don't... yes, almost out of space, baby. <laughs> Okay, fair fair enough. I I don't love that. I it's it is a very stressful part of the game, but I love its inclusion because it makes the it makes the difficulty of the game so much higher and it's it's, it's such a hard limiter on the game. No amount of skill and practice you put into the game will get that inventory higher. And so for that reason, I like it. Like, yeah, I, I called it a mini game because it's it becomes this. Mm-hmm. It's a mini game. This uno- it becomes this unavoidable task that you have to do. And not all mini games are fun. Like a lot of video games will pretend that their mini games are fun, but they're not always fun. But most uh, fishing mini games suck. Yeah, 
Zelda. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> Fishing and woodcutting, that's what I do. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to give the illusion that I fucking relished uh, the, the task of <laughs> managing my inventory. Me. Okay. Go read some quest text. This is a man who reads his, oh, yeah, his quest okay. text. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, you, right? you know what? I'm not sorry we I killed the Ando. It. I did it on purpose because I just hate <laughs> oh, fun. Because you're a psychopath that loves to read quest texts and play minigame out of inventory spots. <laughs> oh, uh, it all comes out today. You're our psychopath, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, you. All right, well... To make a hard left turn before we jump, before we finish this off, um, just some quick thought, one last thought on the campaign as a whole. Um, I think I've iterated this feeling before, but I really feel like the first two and a half books of this, maybe even just maybe the first three books completely are like, they're the prologue. These are the books that you have to this is the experience you have to go through as a party and as characters to get to the power level that you need to be in order to be relevant to the events that are coming up yeah yeah um what's and and th- that is 100% true but the really funny thing is book 1 felt like the prologue and then you get yeah. to the end of book two and you're like, oh, okay. Books one and two are the prologue. <laughs> and then you get to the end of book three and you're like, ah, okay. Books one and two and three are the prologue. All three of those statements are true. Is book four going to be you get to the part end of four book six of like, the prologue? Oh, that was the prologue. <laughs> I mean, Path- Tyrant's Grass was just a, was the yeah. prologue. <laughs> yep. Yeah. This entire AP was just the prologue for second edition. Uh yeah, uh, it's definitely true, though. Like, and it it is kind of crazy how much each new book just kind of compounds that, like, like oh, we ain't seen nothing yet. Feeling by the time you get to the end of it, that's the that's the true horror is looking lo- take taking the logical progression of that and going, well, shit. If we <laughs> haven't seen nothing yet, like, what the hell is in store for us? Yeah. We have, I, I think we had another listener question submitted in our live chat. Yep. Toast asked, uh, what did Alex do that was off book? What did he do that was off the book? Yes, yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, so the Mindscape was off book. The, uh, the, the population count was off book, but we know this because we already talked about it. Um, let, me, let me take a minute. I probably should have put, I, I saw this question. When it was posted, uh, I should have I, put a little thought into it. I have a yeah. more specific question in that vein. Um, sure. The scabbard that applies keen to a bladed weapon, was yes. that something you added in, or was that always written into the AP there? That was in the AP. Wow. No credit um, for you. Yeah, well, I think part of that, too, <laughs> is this AP really wants somebody to use a rapier, yeah, and none sure. of us really do. really do. <laughs> Yeah. So I th- I think that Keen Scabbard was like specifically kind of, included for the rapier yeah. user in the group. It's kind of pathetic, actually. It's like take the hen. <laughs> <laughs> Not interested, Tyrant's grasp. <laughs> um, Scimitars okay, t- rapier. <laughs> um, 
So I, I don't think I ever told you, like, I, I said I included equipment to compensate you for the gold that you spent on resurrecting Yando, uh, trigger warning. Uh, but I don't think I ever told you what specifically I gave you. Um, and it was the uh, the two evil outsider slaying arrows that you got from that room that you found Aluna in uh, with that uh, demon. Yeah, well, we we got, didn't we get the arrows in the uh, underground temple, like, right after the, the shard exploded? Oh, shit, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you did get Because it, I think the idea was you wanted us to use them against that demon, and one, we didn't have anyone using a <laughs> bow, and two, anymore. we completely forgot about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I, I was like, slaying arrows are awesome. You don't see them enough. And it also functioned as a a learning tool for when you got the uh, Iomidae's needle, the ballista bolt, because it functions like a slaying arrow. And I was like, if I introduce a slaying arrow to them beforehand, then all I need to do is say, it functions like a slaying arrow. I don't need to like stop and be like, it functions like a slaying arrow. And this is what a slaying arrow does. Um, see, I'm always thinking. I'm always trying to help you guys. Um, so, yeah, I, this, I, I did include it then. Uh, a, because I was expecting you to use it against that demon, because at that point you still had Vipira, who I think was the only PC who could use a bow. Uh, so I was like, maybe I could give him something that's a bit more universal, that wouldn't have to be used by one specific PC. But, I mean, slaying arrows are awesome, and you had a PC who could use them, so I regret nothing. Oh, one last thing. The fuck was the name of the haunting dark? Oh, that's a good yeah. question. <laughs> I thought I told you guys it was Devoth Songcleaver. That's <laughs> <laughs> Devoth the... Sharkbane. Thank you very much. Yeah, I fucking wish it was because that would have meant that I just fucking killed Devoth off screen for no reason. Uh, which classic, Alex. Um. All right. Uh, let me see if I can find. Okay, the haunting dark. I'm not sure exactly how this would be pronounced, but it looks like it would be Anna Barandi. I don't know. Okay, so definitely not something we could have guessed without reading that book. Yeah. Uh, although, like, I, I I will, you know, say uh, I, I give Matt full points for for just trying to guess because why not? And the guess being Watcher Lord Althun II, uh, because that would have been... In hindsight, that would have been like a really, really cool twist to <laughs> right. to find out that not only is Watchlord Ulthun the Second dead, but you now have to kill him as this giant undead shadow bat. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it was uh it was not uh a like a, a, a dead person that got turned into the haunting dark. This was a, a, a like a pre existing creature that Got showed up there or showed up yes there. yeah because that um, was kind of my thinking at the time like it was either you know just something completely unrelated that was brought there or showed up after the fact was like you know given this task of patrolling the city making sure no one leaves or it was someone very prominent and powerful from the city that got completely horribly mutated by the blast yeah um oh uh I, I, sorry, this whole time I've been thinking of like anything else I've gone off book with. The Melakages that you guys fought in the streets on your way to 
the ballista tower. The where three giant to, ones. Yeah. Um honestly the first one too. Like that was it was that was another monster that was in the bat the bestiary in the back of the book too. Uh and I was like, this monster's cool as hell. Uh I'm gonna try to uh, find a way to incorporate it into the the adventure. And so the the Malakages you fought were I think my most off book thing I've ever done because I actually like Wow, you it wasn't just like a whole ending to book a book before. Oh uh, yeah. Good point. I I guess as far as like a single uh encounter goes, well, as far as a single uh enemy goes, I think is the the better way to put it because I actually kind of made it into a completely different creature in that I took a Melakage, the one that you fought in book 2, and I added more racial hit die onto it um which so is going it was into from like a third party source is what you're saying yeah and i am uh the only person allowed to do that so uh you can uh take your salt and uh put in your eggs but yeah so like like it's 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 one thing to like add class levels or a template onto a monster like there's very clear cut rules on what you do with that but adding racial hit dice onto a uh onto a monster uh kind of like there's also rules on you know like how many hit points it gets and how its base attack bonus progresses and stuff uh and uh, like it gets a feed every other hit die and it gets a plus one to its ability score every four hit dice just like you know anything but when creatures get more hit dice they tend to also have you know other forms of progression that are kind of off the books so i i I knew i wanted to include like a bigger melakage in vigil to represent the denser population but like the same thing happening so at first i was like well maybe i'll just make it an advanced melakage but then i was like that just increases the challenge rating by one like they're just gonna steamroll this thing uh so yeah I, i added i forget how many hit dice i i think i like more than doubled it uh and then I made three of them. Yeah. But yeah, so that was that was another thing I did off the books. Uh, All right. Well, uh, looks seems like we have one last question from Lord Richter last, here. One last question. Okay. Yes. Um, how are we feeling about the quality of what we're producing? Richter says he's noticed the effort and the foot on the accelerator, but have we noticed it? Uh, yeah. I've like like I've said already. Uh. I, I think Nick's role playing, uh, just to you know, go over what I've already said, uh, just in this uh, retrospective, has like gone. Th- it's improved to such a level from where we ended Skull and Shackles to like, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make Nick feel uncomfortable, but like it's no, no. Please give me like, all I'm, the pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I feel like I really have to gush about how how far Nick has come. Like you know, like seriously, like you've n- Nick Nick has improved to such a point. It's like it's very very impressive. I'm super uh, happy for him and for the podcast because you know he's bringing that back to to that. Um, and that and that is not to like I'm just using that specifically because you know I already brought that up for its own reasons every i think every single one of us uh as players and gm have 
definitely improved since uh, the end of Skull and Shackles. And beyond just what we bring to like the proverbial gaming table, uh, our production value, like just Matt's editing skills, our uh, the fact that we have soundtracks to just have as background noise when exploring or conversing or fighting. Um, and just every once in a while, we'll throw in some sound effects uh, where appropriate, or Matt will put my voice through like a, a modulator or a filter of some kind to just make it like seems extra spooky or otherworldly. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say every single element of our show has uh, greatly improved from even where we left off on skull and shackles when we were at our, at our best for that campaign. Uh, that's my opinion. Yeah. I, I think uh, I share that sentiment. I think it actually goes back further than the end of the last game. Um, trigger warning. Um, I think it actually goes back to Kingmaker. I think you can steadily and undeniably see in every aspect of what we were doing and every component just a steady growth up continuously. Um, I, I think something that really stood out to me in terms of a, 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 a new level of production value was the interrogation. That was something that didn't happen in the moment of recording that we had an idea, left it out, and then were able to go back and make that idea happen and fit seamlessly into the episode as if, you know, we had done it just when we were initially recording. Yeah, that's a really good example of how far we've come. Yeah, I think it speaks to the cohesion of our group as a whole that, uh, you know, we if somebody has an idea like that and it's just a really good idea, like we all come together, we all make it work. Uh, and you know, again, to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get Matt's head too big, but, uh, the editing that he did to make that montage work, uh, definitely was the, the, that, that was definitely the most important element to it. Um, because it wasn't just, you know, cropping all of our lines together, because he he had to add like the the he had to like find music that worked for that and it did and it like the like that like like 60 minutes like ticking that he that he added to it or you know I don't know what if there was if that was specifically from something but nope. uh, pulled that right like, from Sirenscape good old yeah, Sirenscape well, yeah it, it it was it was absolutely perfect and it made the whole thing work so much better well I appreciate that I mean I have how many hundreds of hours of experience with sound editing now? So yeah. you think I got to pick up something along the way? Seriously, dude. Really good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I may have gotten my current job because, of, uh, partly because of this podcast, because I put it on my resume. Uh, it has nothing to do with voice work or podcasts in general. Uh, but when I did my interviews, everybody was like, Tell me about this podcast that you run. Everybody <laughs> wants to know about this podcast. Uh, and so I became this. Now, like, I've heard this guy named Yando. Uh, <laughs> you killed him. Is that a. I see you're good at making difficult decisions. <laughs> exactly. Would you be able to kill other coworkers? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's called creative problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, to like, but seriously, for like for resume stuff, like I've I've looked into like because I I realized that I really love doing this, and like it doesn't have to specifically be pathfinder or a podcast but like i just really love like the voice work side of it and yeah recently i was like i realized like i have hundreds of hours and a full portfolio of voice work experience like i wonder if there's something to that and uh, obviously i'm not doing voice work as my full-time career but just a, a funny aside to that um do we have any closing thoughts before we end this retrospective um just say hi for me oh okay love all of you <laughs> i don't have any closing thoughts but uh yeah i uh, have personally uh and i know they're not new to tyrant's grasp because he started doing them in skull and shackles but i have personally loved uh watching lord richter's uh live commentary and uh now uh joining in the uh the tradition uh lady of toast has started doing that as well uh and i'm personally uh really looking forward to their uh their new project uh coming out where they basically do that in podcast form i thought that was top secret apparently episode one is done and they haven't sent it to me yet yeah wait i want i want to listen to this i i i have to say i do also really enjoy uh, Tuesday at some point being able to go into the um, early episode chat and, and seeing their reactions to stuff. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. always great. <laughs> uh, that that always like gets me through my Tuesday afternoons. Um, it, it It's gotten to the point where it feels weird when it doesn't <laughs> happen on Tuesdays. Yeah, like when right. people go to Disney World. What's up with that? Yeah, what the <laughs> fuck? Uh, uh, to, to specifically... Uh, to specifically plug that project uh, that uh, Richter and Toast, uh, two uh, very longtime good friends of the podcast and just swell people in general, uh, that podcast that episode one should be dropping in the near future, uh, since we're on the topic of it, it's called Dyson Salt, and keep that on your radar, baby. Yeah, for to, first, to, to wrap up for some final thoughts on you know, book three and heading into book four. I want to say one last goodbye to Rogyar. He was a fantastic character and he was a great not Devoth. Um, <laughs> I am going to miss my flying Blasty Man, but I am really looking forward to seeing how, uh, how the fans and the patrons react to my new character. Um, yeah. I think I'm having a blast playing him so far. We're only like a couple episodes in, but I'm really looking forward to uh, to how everyone else how everyone else enjoys him. I'll be back sooner than you think. Uh, All right. Uh, so with that, uh, this has been another wonderful recap retrospective extravaganza extraordinaire. Um, I love having. Uh, listeners come and uh just you know make me feel like shit and also uh compliment me it's just a, a great uh gaslighting session uh and i love it every <laughs> single time with that said i can't wait to get f- book four uh started up 
on the air. Uh, like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to this uh, quite a lot. It's going to be a lot of fucking stuff happening. Uh, every book has brought something new. And uh, more devastating. And... <laughs> Uh, in whether it's style or uh, setting or uh, genre, uh, and this book is no exception. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a, another wild ride, uh, but not I think for the reasons you might be uh, expecting. Ooh. Well, I'm a, I'm expecting terrible things, so. <laughs> but that said, uh, we will see you then uh, next week. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.